you're being chased by a gorilla. Does that sound familiar to you? Oh, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit, yeah. <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion it's from one of our episodes. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right, well, yeah, let's uh, start by introducing you first. Okay, so this is... A first for us here on Movie Food. Number one, you're a first-time guest. I and am. This, this is also your first time appearing on a podcast. Yes. Yes. I'm so, so excited um, to be here. Well, we're grateful to have you. Um, so, yeah, I know you as Film Rat on Letterboxd. So welcome to the show, Film Rat. Thank you very much. Uh, you don't have to call me Film Rat the whole episode, though. Uh, you can definitely call me Kay. Uh, that's okay. my name. And thank you so much. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, we, we usually have an applause that we'll, we'll sneak in there, too. So, okay. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever watched, um, uh, like, the Eric Andre show. Yes. Yeah, there's yeah, a specific there's type of applause that they have there, and we have something similar. <laughs> cool. Okay, okay, so um, yeah, why don't we get started by um, you giving us some rock facts about UK. Tell us about you. Oh, yeah, okay, some rock facts. <laughs> rock fact. Yeah, uh, let's rock see. fact. <laughs> I wish I could say it in the, in the, in the voice. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do it, huh? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, uh, I'm from Denver, Colorado. I love it here uh, very, very, very much. And uh, I've been a film lover for, gosh, as long as I can remember. But it's been in my adult life that I've really leaned in. Um, I do a little bit of uh, screening work for festivals uh, throughout the year, uh, but mostly... I am just watching whatever <laughs> catches my eye on my watch list on Letterboxd. Um, let's see. I have a pet lizard. He's pretty cool. Uh, What's his those... name? <laughs> oh, his name is Alfredo Dentini. <laughs> like the like pasta? pasta? Like the <laughs> pasta. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, so those are a couple of rock facts about me. Okay. Well, well, I have I some have questions. questions. <laughs> okay, sure. And one specifically is, what is the origin of the name Film Rat? Oh, yeah. So I guess it's kind of a funny story. Um, well, so I also worked at an independent art house cinema for a number of years uh, in my early 20s, which was very formative, very good fun. Uh, and it kind of became a joke that I was just always at the theater or one of the other theaters around town. And it's like, you can't get me out. Once I'm in, you can't get me out. Uh, and then, you know, some of the places we would hang out in these theaters were downstairs or in these little back rooms. And it's just like places you would expect to see like a little rat scurrying around. Um, <laughs> and so it kind of just got to be like, like I was a film rat. Like I was just kind of always in these theaters, um, you know, just hanging out in the shadows watching a movie. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's where the origin came from. <laughs> gotcha. And it's, yeah. is, is it self-bestowed or did they give you that name? That no, nickname? It's, it's self-bestowed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And it just, and it just stuck. stuck. Okay. I guess All so. Right. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So just to get to know you a little bit more, because um, you have a very eclectic taste, which I dig because I also have one too, but... I, I, I'm curious, what are your favorite movies? Oh, gosh, that's such a tough question because, <laughs> yeah. you got to prepare that list if you're a film buff, right? 
I guess so. I always just try to find a way to worm myself out of it. <laughs> well, um, you can't get out of it this time. You gotta answer that <laughs> okay. question. Okay, I'll do my best. Um, okay. So, yeah, my taste is very elastic. It really just does come down to my mood. Um, gotcha. From from Letterbox, though, I've been on a bit of a horror kick. Um, I would say sure. It's that time of the month, right? Or that time of the year. <laughs> that time of the year, definitely. Yes. Um, but it's the start of the month, so you're also mm-hmm. right. Yes. Um, <laughs> we're at the beginning. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I would say horror and documentary are definitely the realms that I feel most comfortable in, um, and those are what make up my top four on Letterbox. So I'll just go with those four. Okay, um, what are those for right now? Uh, those are Blair Witch, uh, which is one of my my favorite movies of all time. It's endlessly rewatchable, if you ask me. Um, and it's just such a nice, tight little piece of horror. Uh, okay. Let's see. After that, Garlic is As Good as Ten Mothers, which is... Oh, oh my, my God. God. Yes. <laughs> I have a story, a story about, about this movie. So, yeah, but continue. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm, I'm yeah. glad I got that reaction from you on this movie. Mm, yes. Because so many people are not familiar with Les Blank, and I think it's so He's unfortunate. Awesome. He's terrific. Yeah. Um, I have his collection from Criterion, and yeah, it's, yeah. I yeah, always for pleasure, always for pleasure. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, so his films are always like a warm, safe place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Werner uh, Herzog eats his shoe. Oh, yes. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, and actually that leads into Herzog, which is number three. Herzog is probably my favorite director overall. Like, gun to my head, I would probably say he's my favorite director because okay. he does documentary and narrative features so well. Um, but in my top four, I have uh, Nosferatu, the vampire. Uh, mm. So beautiful. One of his feature films. Uh, and rounding it out, I have Under the Skin is just a great little Whoa. piece of minimalist femme horror and he doesn't look yeah that. <laughs> yeah I, I just got the soundtrack on vinyl recently oh, and it's just lucky. incredible yeah oh yeah. my gosh i'm so jealous <laughs> i yeah I, I just found it randomly in a record store yeah and it, it's uh is it micah or mika levy uh it's micah? micah yeah it was like her first oh yeah because it makes sense or i guess because i'm thinking of mikachu pikachu because isn't that her band uh but um, yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah but it is like her first score and just man yeah it's one of those like i i have my own like little section of, of soundtracks and one of my criteria for the soundtracks is that it has to stand on its own that you can just like listen to it and yeah it's definitely one of those soundtracks that's so uh, good uh, but yeah, before we we get to the next bit though, I I have to go track back to Les Blank because yeah, I mean I there's there's a couple of things about him that like I mean one thing is I think when I discovered him, he convinced me that films could be any length, <laughs> you know that that <laughs> yeah. he just has those random run times, you know that some films are like fifty six minutes and then. Some films are eight minutes, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, what that's movies should be. It doesn't shouldn't be like, like oh, it has to be an hour and a half. It has to be a hundred minutes, you know, or it has to be two hours. Um, yeah, he has a very organic approach to his filmmaking. It's like he just lets the subject shine for as long as feels good and moves on. Right, you're right. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah, obviously he, he's so good at picking his subjects. There's always like a humor to it that I enjoy. And, um, yeah, like, actually, the first film I ever saw by him, did you ever see his documentary on Dizzy Gillespie? I forgot the title of it. I think it's just called Dizzy. I'm not sure. 
I don't know that I ah, have seen that one. Yeah. It's not ringing a bell. Yeah, it's not on the Criterion collection, uh, which is sad. I don't know if it's a rights issue or something because, you know, he there's footage of him playing live. Um, but yeah, it, it's really wonderful. Like, um, there, there's even a bit where he, you know, he loves the, the car interview, <laughs> like, <laughs> like obviously, obviously the most memorable one being the Werner Herzog one, the, we must a wage speech. war on television. <laughs> we must wage a holy, holy war, war on Bonanza. Bonanza. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so good. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there, there's a, there's a car interview with, um, with Dizzy Gillespie and he's in the passenger seat and he's film and, uh, Les Blank is filming from the backseat. And I just remember that bit where Dizzy is just like saying like, you know, uh, if you don't like my music, I'm sorry. Like, I apologize. <laughs> but he's saying it in like such a graceful, uh, gracious way. And it's just wonderful. Like, yeah, he was really just a great like humanistic documentarian. And um, yeah, the, the story about garlic is as good as uh, Ten Mothers. Is that the full title? Yeah, what a great title, too. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, he has yeah. another one, too, like, like um, Gap Tooth Women. Like, it's just, oh, yeah, that one's yeah, wonderful. The, yeah. <laughs> and what was the one that was a feature that was like, was it Leon Russell? Uh, that had an amazing title, too. I'm blanking right now. It was about a musician. I'm not sure if it was Leon Russell. He does a uh, lot of music and a lot of great titles. Yeah, like God yeah. respects us when we work, but loves us when we dance. Like, what a great <laughs> title for a film. Yeah, he's so I mean, playful and easygoing. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um after he passed, um, uh, the Museum of Moving Image did like a, a retrospective, like, and it was just like a one whole program because you know you could fit how many of his movies in that program. <laughs> so yeah, it included um, Werner uh, uh, Herzog eats his shoe, and then. Mm -hmm. Uh, garlic is as good as ten mothers, and, and the unique thing about mother. garlic is um, uh, good as ten, ten mothers. Uh, I don't know if you know about this since you you worked in a movie theater. There's like a specific way of screening it. Do you know what it is? I actually don't. Okay, so if you see it playing in a movie theater near you, you should go see it live because um, oh, and yeah. they should follow his specific. Uh, settings or um, his request of how it should be screened. So the movie is supposed to be screened with a toaster oven in the movie theater actually baking garlic. So the, the garlic wafts through the theater. And they did that at that screening at the Museum of Moving Image. And it was incredible. I'm yeah. such a garlic fanatic. I, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I would love that. You'd have to drag me out of the theater. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I, I was just, I think they, they actually baked garlic bread. And like the only thing that I wish that would have completed the experience, you know, just like the synesthesia would have been like they handed out pieces of the garlic bread in the theater. But the Museum of Moving Age Theater is huge. So it's like logistically it's hard to just like go around passing out the bread um you made me drool over here oh my gosh <laughs> but yeah you you have to catch it if you if you can catch it live and then they do that because um this was even before like criterion released his work because i remember his sons were there and they were actually like just selling his dvds um so yeah it was it was an incredible experience just to see that um that's so cool i'm yeah. so happy for you what a time <laughs> yeah, right that's awesome yeah, yeah. Okay, okay so well, um uh, uh i guess I, since you said you're from denver i gotta ask I are you a fan of the avalanche uh the sports team 
<laughs> You're not a fan. <laughs> you don't even know who they are. Was that enough so, of a dead giveaway? Yes. Um, yeah. Because um, yes. they just... No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I know we just won the, the, uh, the Stanley Cup. The oh, there you go. So you know, you know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, how embarrassing. Yeah, no, I know our sports team is, I'm I'm not, I don't follow (laughs) sports though, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm really passionate about hockey, like, uh, so that's why, you know, and I mean, the team you guys had are just incredible. You have like a generational player, but I guess you couldn't care less. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I just don't have the time. I'm busy watching movies. What can I mm-hmm. say? <laughs> How do you feel about <laughs> hockey movies? Hockey movies? Like the Mighty Ducks? <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, that's, yeah, that's one. one. <laughs> I love those movies. Um, is Miracle another one? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I remember seeing Miracle. I, I, I don't know. Those are honestly the only two hockey movies that come to mind. And okay. I would say they're both, they're, they're both pretty good. Uh, I would have to, I'd have to do a hockey retrospective, I think. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it really does lend itself to cinema. There's something very cinematic about it. I mean, those are the best parts in the Mighty Ducks movies are the hockey scenes. And I mean, I would recommend a movie that we had actually covered on this podcast previously called Cowards Bend the Knee by Guy Madden. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's like, like, to me, the best hockey movie. Um, Guy Madden, uh, gosh, he, what else did he do? Why is that name? Um, uh, his most recent movie was The Forbidden Room. Oh, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, actually another fun movie he made even more recently that I forgot about because it was more kind of a, a found footage film is, um, uh, Uh, The Green Fog. Where he, yeah, uh, of, um, oh, have you seen it? Of Vertigo, right? He, yeah, like, yeah, he remakes, yeah, yeah, he remakes Vertigo with like found like, footage of other like, movies that are set in San Francisco, and it's like hilarious. Oh my it's gosh, just... yeah. I think I just watched that for the first time earlier this year. Oh, there, oh, there you, go. you go. Yeah, I've also seen My Winnipeg. That's where I was from. Yeah, that. yeah. So Love you've seen one. his kind of like more documentary stuff. That's my <laughs> I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah, that that's what Guy Madden. Uh, uh, that's how Guy Madden would do a documentary. It can't be straightforward. <laughs> he like cast somebody to play himself and stuff. And yeah, that that has some hockey in it too. Um, with my Winnipeg, like he laments like the the Jets leaving Winnipeg. Oh, uh, you just muted real quick. That's yeah, I just had to clear my throat. <laughs> I oh, didn't want to cool. do it over you. <laughs> All right, now that's your cough button. No, yes. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was some hockey in that. Um, I remember mm-hmm. watching that on a day that it snowed too. So it oh, was extra. Perfect. It was like, yeah, it was it was like 4D. It was wonderful. <laughs> it Whoa. Was very okay. immersive. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, I should say also why um, I invited I, you to be a guest yes. on the show, and it's really your reviews on Letterboxd. You know, um, uh, one of the things about it is that you know Letterboxd. Seems to be dominated by like snarky reviews, jokey type of reviews, and I, I'm very grateful for the block button because I block most of those uh, reviewers that just post nonsense because it's just like I I just feel like I lose brain cells, um, and when I see those reviews, I'm like I, I just don't get it. Like those are the most popular reviews. Like they get the most likes. Uh, I'm yeah, just so the out ones of touch. That are, like quippy. Yeah. Yeah. The only one that I really liked, like, I'll, I'll say before I blocked her. Do you do you know Lucy? She's I don't like one think of the. So. Yeah, yeah, she's one of the most famous uh, 
reviewers on the site. Like she's probably like top ten, top five. Oh, I don't um, really know the A-listers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's blocked now because I, I, I yeah, the shtick just wore thin on me very quickly. But her review of La La Land, if you can find it, is great. I'll see if I can. What was her name again? Lucy? It's just Lucy. And I don't know who her photo is, if it's like Bette Midler or it's some sort of celebrity. It's She, she doesn't use her, her actual photo. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. like Bette Midler, like peering down some sunglasses, like you'll know, but yeah, if you just look up La La Land, it's one of the top reviews on La La Land. <laughs> it's brilliant. I can't even like read it because it's like, it's supposed to play in your head and then you hear it that way. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I finally, uh, watched La La Land for the first time, like last month. Wow. Oh yeah. Okay. I see her review. Um, it was much better than I expected. I liked it quite a bit because I, okay. I don't really like musicals. I'm such a hard sell on musicals. And so I would kind of resign to just never see this, but I was peer pressured into it. And I was like, okay, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, same. I've, I've actually never seen it. Yeah. You know, I would uh, say it's very heartwarming. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I know some people who like, kind of well actually one specific actress i met who she said she hated it with a passion but she was crying by the end of the movie because she could relate to it so much yeah like just this idea that the relationship couldn't go on because you know it's like well i gotta pursue my dream you know yeah it's a lot about like self-love and yeah chasing dreams all of that too it's good the last like 15 minutes is worth a star just by itself i'll say that (laughs) yeah And I, I will say that I, I'm also biased against um, uh, Damien Chazelle. Like, I pretty much, like, hate everything that he does. So, oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the only thing that I liked where I was like, wow, this is like, amazing is First Man. Like, you didn't like Whiplash? I did not, no. Interesting. Um, but I'm also really passionate about jazz. And I just okay. feel like the movie's understanding of jazz and i think that continues like even um guy and madeline on the park bench and i'm i'm fearing la la land is the same where he just has like this idea of jazz that it's like fixed like it's about standards like keeping time like all these things where you know the jazz that i like well i guess you know i mean my favorite jazz musicians are like ornette coleman and Eric Dolphy and it's all about free jazz so <laughs> it's about improvising and you know actually going off the board and you know the the thing that who's the the instructor the teacher in in Whiplash what's his name again oh I'm gosh blinding. I forget his name let me pull yeah, it but, yeah but, um <laughs> J.K. Simmons <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I but I don't I, know I, the the actual character's character. name I've forgotten Fletcher or something mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah, it's just it's like, like his, his vision. I mean, I understand that there there are teachers like that because you know, um, my background is in literature, and it's the same thing, where I, I feel like there's there's still like teachers who are very much like sticklers for the rules, but but uh, what I get, I mean, over my impression of a handful of his movies is just that he actually also believes these things. Like it's like he 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 believes that music is or or jazz is like that. You know, you know, um, that it, it, it's like a like competition, competition, you know, and these kinds of things instead of like this real form, form of expression, expression that's free, which is, I guess, I guess what I lean more towards. And then, you know, there's, you know, there's whole, whole, I don't really want to go, go into the whole, like, 
racial aspect of it too, which a lot of people levy against him. But uh, I don't know. Have you seen the trailer for Babylon? I have not, but just really quickly on La La Land, I will say it might yeah. take you by surprise because okay. the main character is actually a guy who's stuck playing the jazz standards and wants to be his own thing. So okay, maybe you know, yeah, I, I, I he's know. yeah he's evolving. <laughs> I mean, you know, he made First Man right after that, and I loved First Man. Like, I really think it was great, even though he opts for the the Paul Schrader, um, Robert Bresson ending. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know, I don't if, know you, if you you know what I'm referring to, but uh, it... I don't. <laughs> okay, so it, it did you see the card counter? I haven't seen card counter, and yeah, uh, okay. not Babylon. I'm so I'm behind the times. I live under okay. a rock. <laughs> nah, that's fine. As long as you don't live under that rock of the rock fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, it's uh, it's just this ending where. Two people are separated by a barrier. It could be glass. It could be, you know, like um, a prison, you know, but then they have that moment where they connect and it's usually hands meeting, you know. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of become a cliche, but, you know, somehow it's still very powerful, you know. And also, um, you've seen First Man, right? I haven't. Oh, you haven't? Oh, man, you have to see it. And, and and that's and another that's one that, that sh you should see in the theater if you can, because I mean the the moon landing sequence is incredible, and I, I saw it in IMAX. I was completely blown away by it. But also the score is very unique. I really love the score. So, I've heard great things yeah. about the score actually. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, this one has been on my radar for a while. It's just when you have a three thousand movie long watch list, <laughs> it's kind of hard <laughs> to prioritize sometimes. Okay, so you said also, yeah, let's break that down. So you go by mood. So yes. do you like flip through many movies before you, you settle on one? Or it's just like you pick some something randomly out of the hat? Or how do you do it? Um, a bit of both. Sometimes if I'm in the mood for a specific genre, I'll pick like a handful and then narrow that down. But every once in a while, I'll just kind of do a roulette and like scroll. And whatever I land on is what I'll watch. Okay. Um, so yeah, I try to keep it pretty open. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I, I'm always interested in that because yeah, I I also have like a, a bit of a backlog of movies, and I tend to do, do like the opening test, which um was actually a thing that they used to do in a movie theater in LA. Um, it was Cine Family, where they do this thing where they'll play like the first two minutes of the movie, and then the audience decides whether they want to continue watching it or not, and then yeah, they keep going until like it's like okay, we want to see that movie. So <laughs> I, I do that at home. But um, yeah, I got yeah, sidetracked. Sorry. Uh, oh, no, uh, what I was saying, okay. the reason why I invited you on the show oh, yeah. is because your reviews are refreshingly not the snarky type of popular reviews on Letterboxd. Like, um, I feel like your reviews are very sincere, you know, um, and then you have like a very good balance of like these, these films are very artistic and uh esoteric but then also like just movies that are entertaining and i actually wanted to highlight some of your reviews that stood out to me and some of them have been recent so obviously there um uh, one that i commented on was um on the beach at night alone um so was this your first hong sang Soo movie or you'd seen something before that uh this was actually my first one oh, i've seen wow. more since then but yes Okay. okay, yeah, because um, yeah, I, I I really liked it. I liked your review more than I liked the movie. I think that's what what my comment was. 
Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I've kind of soured on him. Like, I really loved his early stuff. And then somehow, like, I guess after that scandal with um, his actress, which the movie, uh, that specific movie is actually touching upon because I think that was the, the first movie they made after. Uh, or no, the, the first movie they made when the news broke was actually um, uh, Yourself and Yours. And I don't think she was in that. But it, it definitely had, like, a more bitter edge to it than his previ previous work. And I don't know, I don't know like, like I'm like just I'm getting, getting the sense now that like it's it's more of the same. Like I, I was supposed to write a review that was a response to your review onto like the last film of his that I saw that I was like, oh, this is still him when I liked him, which was um, right now wrong then. Um, but yeah, I just keep getting disappointed by every succeeding movie. The only one that kind of was like, it had something redeeming about it was... Um, uh, the novelist's film, which was, I think this year, um, like the ending of the novelist's film is great. Like I was like more of that. Like I want to see that, you know. So um, yeah, that's just my little rant on on Hong Sang Soo. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to explore more of his stuff. Um, I watched The Woman Who Ran a couple months ago, and I thought that one was really good as well. Mm -hmm. yeah the yeah, whole the whole thing with the cats and the neighbor is fantastic <laughs> yeah, like that, that whole, whole scene <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah i don't know it's just like th there was something about because uh, you know the way he's evolved is like he figured out that um you know how much money his movies were making and like he basically fit his budgets so his money his movies would always be profitable you know, so they're very low budget. He just uses like his um, kind of repeating like cast of actors and just kind of revolves them around. Sometimes they're supporting actors in one movie and then other movies, they're the lead. Um, and then, yeah, the, the humor is actually also something that he introduced later on. Like his first few movies were very serious. And like even um, the day uh, the pig fell into the well, his first film actually was like violent. Which oh my is, gosh, you wouldn't yeah, expect that. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly, you know. Um, but there was something about wow. the early films. They were he more, like, they leaned heavily more on structure. And I like that. Like, he was very inspired by, you know, literature where, like, something like um, On the Occasion of Remembering the Turning Gate. He has yeah. great titles, by the way. Yes, yeah. Um, so, Turning Gate, like, all the chapters begin, like, um, you know, early literature, like, where, you know, they do the summary of the chapter. So it's like in which, you know, our hero like has bulgogi or something like that. Like that's... Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. that's how each chapter begins. Like or like... That. Yeah, and you know, obviously he's, he's very inspired by Romare. So like his closest to Romare is actually the movie he made in France called uh, Night and Day. And that one is like segmented like um, by dates, which is something that Romare would do, like especially in in the Green Ray or Summer, as some people know it. Um, it would be like this day passing, and then you know, Hong Sang Soo did that with with Night and Day. But yeah, he's kind of moved away from that, which is what I enjoyed about his movies uh, early on. So yeah, that's just me. <laughs> I mean, I guess a scandal like that will definitely change <laughs> change sure. you and shake things up. Um, I don't, I can't speak to how much it would change know an artist's form but i don't know mm -hmm. maybe he just wanted to do something different after that hard to yeah. say yeah well, well i'm gonna pin this for 
uh, towards the end of the episode. Um, okay. But yeah, we'll, we'll bring Hong Sang Soo might come up again. Okay. Um, uh, I also like your review of the the mist. Oh, most <laughs> yeah. recently. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, people forgot about that movie. I I feel like like I, I didn't make much money when it came out. Do you remember? Uh, I don't. That gosh, because it came out so long ago. Um, yeah, I was just what that wow, two thousand seven. So yeah, many years ago. Yeah, this one was brought back to my attention um, because I had a pretty low star rating for it, and uh, some of my friends were like, "You really need to revisit it." And so I managed to get my paws on a copy in black and white. And it was just a great experience because I know a lot of the complaints are about the CG, but in black and white, it kind of does help blur that. And yeah, it was it was a great wow. experience. <laughs> I would recommend it. Okay, yeah, I'll have to yeah. check that out. I didn't even know that they did a black and white version. Yeah, it's like the director's version. Oh, man. And you know what's crazy about that movie, too, is that they gave Frank Darabont that choice. Where they were like, um, you know, we can give you more money and a bigger budget, you know, to improve that CG, mm-hmm. or um, you have to change the ending. And he was like, I want my ending. <laughs> and he, yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened. He kept the ending, and he basically got blacklisted. He hasn't directed anything since this. Like, he's probably done some TV. But, yeah, I was looking at filmography, and I couldn't see anything. And that's so interesting because I think, because that ending, it's not like it's wholly unique. I mean, things like that have definitely been done before. And when I was watching The Mist, I was thinking a lot about um, Night of the Living Dead and like that ending. And it it follows a lot of the same beats as that movie. Um, And so that ending, I was just like, okay, this kind of feels appropriate. And uh, yeah, I I really wasn't that bothered by it. I I thought that it was... um, I mean, it, it, it hits, it hurts, um, but that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't it, know what people wanted. <laughs> right. Like, they're just mad. <laughs> happy ending, you know, they yeah. wanted the happy ending. Yeah. Uh, everything's going to be okay <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in the end. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's funny, funny too, like, because, you know, the British have a word for it, which I don't think American English has, which is, like, it perfectly sums up the ending, which is gutted. You gutted know. yeah for sure <laughs> how it feels <laughs> yeah um yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I and think... sorry no go ahead um i think there's actually some science behind that too like the um the disappointment of something is so much more severe if it's like within a few minutes of having happened oh, like like if man. they if he shot oh, oh gosh i mean if if the yeah. event had happened and then an hour <laughs> had passed and then the finale, you know, the ending had happened, like it wouldn't have hurt as much as having it as much as, you know, it having been a couple of minutes. Like it just makes it sting so much more because you're like, oh, so close. But I don't know. I think oh, that man. just adds to like how, I don't know, it's it's kind of masterful in that, that effect. Like it yeah. does yeah. gut you. And if a film can make you that mad, maybe it's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it, it definitely that that choice of like it happening in consecutive moments is yes. like really adds another level to it than that other endings that have you know there's been bleak endings before but never like that where it's just like man there could have been another choice. It's like you know sometimes you know some you'll see something just go black and then credits roll and then that's it. But this one it's like okay, there's this one more thing. <laughs> and, and we're tiptoeing around it because I feel like, like some people still haven't seen it, and like the yeah. joy 
<laughs> that ending is just man. Yeah, okay. I almost slipped up there. So sorry. Yeah, sorry no, no. for the half spoiler there. <laughs> yeah, we don't even we're not even specifying who that character is, so you know. Also it was um, two thousand seven guys. Come right. on. Right. <laughs> but yeah, the black and white version, oh man, I gotta watch this for October. Would recommend. Uh, yeah, I, I gotta check it out. Um so uh yeah, I guess just a couple more reviews I wanna highlight. Sure. Uh, I I love your review for Memoria. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, which also just inspired a lot of thoughts. Um, for me, maybe things that I didn't realize that was happening in the movie because I saw it a couple of times, and it's weird. Like it was a lot more like resonant to me watching it at home than in the theater. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. it was more like intimate and personal. Or what do you think that was? Um, yeah, and also I guess it's that first viewing, and, well, technically it was, like, the, uh, first and a half viewing, because I, I had another clip, which I'm, uh, of another version of it, which I'm kind of incriminating myself here, but I don't care. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, there was first that announcement that Neon was gonna only show it in theaters, it was never gonna get like um a proper release i mean like a, a physical release or streaming release and you know i like that idea in principle but it was the fact that they were doing it like city by city and like it's just man like how long do i have to wait for it to get to me yeah um yeah did it play in denver by the way it did yeah i okay. i was lucky enough to see it in a theater and i can't remember if the theater was empty or if it was just me and a couple other people but it was a very like solitary experience for me where i was like completely checked in um and i and i can understand like you know wanting it to have like that specific theater release because the sound is so important watching it on your phone or at home i mean it's not that it wouldn't have the same effect but just in a theater it just it, it it feels like it's supposed to. Right. right. Oh, I, I guess I should contextualize my home viewing a little more why I guess it was so significant. Um, because uh, I watched it on New Year's Eve, heading into 2022. Yes. Interesting pick. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, yeah, I just want to watch a movie, um, you know, as midnight hits. And I think, like, I had to pause it as midnight hit because there were all these fireworks going off you know um but yeah like i it, that was really it i was just like okay 2021 was a sucky year uh <laughs> hoping 2022 is better and um i wanted to go in with that um i guess that optimism and i'm not really sure if the movie is that optimistic it really depends i mean that's the beauty of it right that it's it's ambiguous but i will, I will say yeah. that yes yeah, so, so there was a copy circulating. It was on Twitter, so don't blame me. Like, I, I found it on Twitter. Somebody was sharing it. But there were two copies originally. So the first one that dropped actually had, like, something wrong with its sound. Um, like, it had a hum that was playing over it throughout the entire movie. Oh. And I thought that was part of the sound design. And I was just like, this is incredible. <laughs> You know, interesting, uh, like a droning sound. Yeah, interesting. And, and, like especially in that that initial scene where it's going through the parking lot, and then the cars like the alarms start going off. Yeah, like it was really powerful in that sequence. Um, oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just wondering how it would play because I never watched the file all the way through, and then once I got the other file, I just deleted that one, which I'm 
regretting now, now because I, it's, it's like, like you, you know, know the the final, final third, third of the movie talking about sound, sound like there's so much <laughs> silence until you know the reveal um so uh yeah i don't know i i i hope like you know i have multiple hard drives so i'm hoping that there was like another hard drive that had it somehow like i saved it on there but yeah memoria oh my gosh well drop me a line if you find this rare drone version we'll have the exclusive cut yeah yeah for sure um yeah i'll have to find out um yeah we'll we'll talk about it off record <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah okay so uh one last review because also I, I think it opens up other things that I, i'm just curious like so you, you also reviewed paraguayan hammock recently and like that's another mo- movie that i don't think anybody talks about like how did you find out about it like you know what made you want to see it like yeah so this um actually kind of loops back around to um, what you were asking before just about like my taste and how I watched mm. so much stuff. Uh, I've been extremely fortunate in my life to be um, influenced by a lot of different people who are passionate about film, um, music, etc. Um, but spe- specifically film, um, having worked at the theater and then just continuing to kind of embed myself in the film scene as much as I can after that. Um, I've kind of been introduced to things like this over time. So uh, one of my very dear friends who uh, is a projectionist here and, and uh, uh, I've been friends with for many years recommended this to me. Uh, he had kind of introduced me to slow cinema and like the sort of meditation-based uh, film uh, many years ago. And this is one that I'd actually been trying to find for a while. And yeah, it was... Hard to come by. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a rare one. Um but I had this serendipitous moment where every every few months I would just try to find this movie, like see if I could find it somewhere. Um, yeah. And the other day, uh, I just did a little search, was scrolling through Google results and found uh, like an, a film archive website that had a copy. Um, wow. I know, so lucky. Um, and so I had to, I immediately watched it like the same day uh, and just had a very wonderful experience. So. I think it's just the sort of thing where, you know, I think some films find you when you're supposed to see them. And it kind of felt like that um, with that film. So, yeah. Nice. Long yeah. answer to a short question. No, no. That, that, <laughs> I love that story. Uh, and I mean, you know, this was also like peak slow cinema. Like this was really when it was just like kind of because I remember I was I was going to festivals around that time. And they were just everywhere. It was just like uh, a worldwide trend. And some of them were terrible, by the way. Like, you know, but this is one of the better ones. Um, uh, I don't know if you know Lisandro Alonso. Uh, no, not really. Uh, no. He's one of my favorite filmmakers and he makes really slow films. You've probably heard of his most recent film, which is now actually, strangely enough, like eight years old, I think. Oh, what was it? It's Hauha, but it's spelled with a J. Jauja, it's with um, uh, with Vigo Mortensen. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure it, I know that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's his most accessible film, but, but like his his first three or four movies are incredible. Like, and you know, he he was part of that whole Argentinian cinema boom that happened, um, uh, in the early two thousands. 
and it's just basically him and Lucretia Martel who are left standing. A lot of the these filmmakers are, you know, they've kind of uh, disappeared. And I mean, even Paz and Cena, I don't know what she's done recently. Like, you know, I'm I'm curious to to find out. You know, um, yeah, there's not really you don't you don't see much of it these days. Um, at the last yes. instance I can think of is. Um, Gosh, what is it? Something uh, an elephant sitting still? I can't remember. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah, that's the title. Yeah. Yeah, portrait of an elephant sitting still. Something like that. Um, is it just an elephant sitting still? Uh, uh yeah, it's yeah. elephant sitting still. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, that yeah. movie. You know, there's just like a a vibe about it that you know, yeah. obviously because the director, um, killed himself. Like that was definitely it. Yeah. It just hangs over the whole film. And you know, I still why, haven't finished right? it. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, no what why? why? Yeah, uh, so that was like so that was like his masterwork and he put so much into this film and because it was so long but he was unwilling to like edit it any shorter, it wasn't going to be released and he ended up killing himself. Oh and my then God. Yeah, and then like it almost feels wrong, but then they did end up releasing the film after he died. Uh oh, so he man. kind of killed himself to get his film released. Yeah, I I mean I have an awful phrase for that, but it it's it it is kind of a reality. It's like the suicide is a career move, you know. It's like um uh John Kennedy Tool, you know, with um uh what was his novel um A Confederacy of Dunces, and then um one of my favorite writers, he actually I think it was part of his game plan all along. Um, uh Edward Levy or Lev, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but uh, he's a French writer, and his last work was called Suicide. And once he submitted the um, the manuscript, he, he killed himself. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's some dark stuff in the film world. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't really... I mean, you know, obviously, um, uh, uh, Godard passed away recently, and that was assisted suicide. And, yeah, that's true. Um, Chantal Ackerman too. Um, I I have to say too. Uh, like I had recorded a whole episode doing a tribute to Goddard, and uh, this episode might be lost. So now it's oh, in no. the lore of movie food <laughs> that uh, there's an episode. I'm really sorry, Brandon. He was our guest on that episode, and it might be we fear it might be lost. Uh, we may be able to like salvage it somehow, but it's just not gonna be as good um as the original recording was uh we'll see but uh yeah maybe it might be like a a later on like a surprise that will bring it back uh you know frankenstein or something <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah I, I i paid tribute to godard um in that last episode are you what does, what does godard, godard like uh signify like, to you okay um so i i have kind of um Gosh, how do I approach this delicately? I, I, cause I, I, I never really clicked with French New Wave the way that a lot of people have, and I feel like um, sometimes I feel like there's something wrong with me for not <laughs> for not no. clicking with it more. No, don't um, ever think that. <laughs> but that's just me being honest. I mean, like for me, bre- Breathless, I, it, it, it just didn't like. I, I feel like I maybe it's the hype, but like I went into films right. like that just expecting to be like on the floor, blown away. And when I when I finished it, I was like, oh, that was a fine experience. Um, and so that's kind of been my experience with uh, Godard and, and French New Wave in general, where I just 
kept wanting this huge experience and, and didn't really get that. So um, I, I feel like I need to see more Godard. I think that a few people have recommended different ones to me that I haven't seen yet and said that that's kind of what helped him click for them. Uh, so, I mean, I, I have plenty of respect for him as a director and for what he um, did to, you know, forward filmmaking, but I don't really have, like, a, a personal connection with his films, to be honest. Okay. That's fair. I mean, you know, I also was, uh, initially was also, like, very dismissive of, of his work, uh, especially, like, I mean, during the time that he was alive, like, those contemporary movies that he was releasing, I was like, what is this nonsense? <laughs> um, but yeah, somehow... like a language. <laughs> oh yeah, well, no, I I love that. You know, by that time I'd already come around to Godard. Like, yeah, yeah, Goodbye to Language is incredible, and you know, it, it that's also a theater ex- a must see experience in the theater. I did see you know, that one in three D. Three D. Oh, so it, it didn't do anything for you? Oh my god! Uh, no, I, that one that one I had an easier time with because I kind of like the experimental and avant garde. Right. And I think it's split. more his like his, his aloof stuff is what I have yeah. a harder time with. For sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, the, the beauty of his filmography is that it it's in different phases. So, like, you know, what the, with the breathless phase, like, up until, like, 67, like, that's one phase, you know. Um, and then uh, he, he goes through his Marxist phase in the 70s and he makes more political stuff. But my favorite is, like, the 80s onwards. Like, that's, that's when it really started to turn for me. And actually, the movie um, that changed everything was uh, JLG, JLG, Self-Portrait in December, which, you know, hits differently now, especially that he's passed away. But, um, yeah, it's just his, his portrait. It's only, like, 56 minutes long. It It's, uh, it's also very sincere, um, but with some humor because, like, he had just made um, LS Pour Moi with um, Gerard Depardieu. And he makes this joke because, you know, like people, you know, think that his movies are edited randomly. He gets, he gets a, blind a blind woman to edit the movie. Like, <laughs> he teaches her to, like, make the cuts with scissors on, like, you know, rolls of film. And he's like, yeah, you just got to cut, cut it right it here. Right. You got to feel the sprocket. And, you know, oh my goodness. Like, it's, it's an incredible, it's incredible scene. scene. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, I like contempt quite a bit. Okay. okay. All right. So yeah, there's that, that at least. Right. And yeah, the you know, so yeah, the, those early films don't actually do much for me. The the only movie that that does is um two or three things I know about her because I think it kind of foreshadows what was to come because it's the most like fragmented of, of his 60s work, you know. Um but yeah, I I totally understand. Like he he's definitely an acquired taste. Um I would also recommend, which I didn't mention in that last episode, is to listen to John Zorn's track called Godard. Okay. Because <laughs> it's it's insane. Like, I mean, you know, John uh, John Zorn basically made like a couple of pieces that he considered to be movies for the ear. So the other one was uh, Spillane, which is also great. He gets um, John Lurie to uh, narrate Spill- Mickey Spillane, and or um, what's his character's name? Mike Hammer. And then he does this piece on Godard, which, like, makes no sense until, like, you've seen Godard movies. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> now, why is it there, like, a Chinese narrator? I don't get this. Like, what's going on? Now it's Japanese? Okay, there's some French. There's a party going on. And, like, 
the way that Zorn, like, it was very influential on me. Like, he composed these. He calls them file card compositions. Okay. So it's like, like he writes, write, like, a scene on a file card, and then, you know, he rearranges the file, file cards card. until he finds file an order card. that's, like, optimal Optim for him. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, like, you know, if you're you're trying to get into Godard, I don't know <laughs> if this recommendation will work, but, like, yeah, give it a shot. Like, listen to, to Godard by John Zorn. I think it's on Spotify. Or it's probably on YouTube somewhere, um, but yeah, uh, Godard is yeah he's he's a titan. So it's like eventually, yeah you'll 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 have different phases in your life too. So maybe you know you'll get to that point where it's like yeah maybe I feel like playing a Godard. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and see how you feel about it. I don't doubt it. It just I haven't had that moment yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I I would like to i'm sure it will happen eventually and i have pinned a couple of the things you've mentioned so cool <laughs> maybe yeah, that day will be sooner than later yeah and if it does uh and you want to talk about it and discuss it you're you're free to come back and discuss it oh, with us on the show thank you so much yeah uh, that means a lot i appreciate that maybe awesome. i will <laughs> all right um okay just a couple more things before sure, sure. we I'm actually get fun. to the meat of the episode cool um, yeah, you were talking about slow cinema, and you actually watched. Um, he's one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. Um, uh, you watched James Benning's Small Roads. Oh my gosh! Yes, I I've been a fan of his work for a while, but just Amazing. recently I have been kind of like going back, and I I want to watch through his filmography, and I've been like listening to some of his um, oh, like talks, yes. and because he's, he's done incredible. a lot of lectures and things too, so. I was just listening to one of his talks earlier just like on time and how um like how how film affects the way we perceive time and time yeah. <laughs> affects the way we perceive film which is like obviously he was much more eloquent about it because his films do deal so much with time and space and atmosphere and I love that kind of stuff so I'm glad you brought that up <laughs> yes yeah. uh yeah I mean he's also a very big influence on me um even though I I don't feel like my films are anything like his. Oh, oh no! I will say I made one movie, and it's probably my longest movie that I made. That that is kind of like his because it's. Um, I was filming my friends during like a sunset, so I filmed the sunset in real time. So you actually, because I was just fascinated with this idea of like, um, you know, in real time you see light change, and the camera doesn't register the same way our eyes do, where you know we kind of adjust and we can see in the dark. But if you don't have your camera on automatic settings like it just gets darker and darker and i like this idea of like somebody disappearing into darkness and you know that that prime part of the sunset is like 20 minutes you know so i made i made a film about that i love that uh, yeah it's on letterbox by the way <laughs> oh i'll have to find it i didn't know that yeah yeah, yeah, I mean I'm, the uh I think yeah, you you can also I like I uploaded it online. It's like on YouTube and uh archive.org. Okay. Which is a great site. So yeah, if you ever want to check it out and you're in that mood, contemplative mood. So that's my my only like I guess close to Benning type film cuz he also made a film called Nightfall. I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't seen that one. Oh man, that's incredible. So yeah, that that's also like a sunset, but Instead of him focusing on the sun, it's just how the light changes um, in a forest. And there's almost no movement on it. I mean, you know, part of the experience, and I think that's his deal too, is like when his movies get screened in theaters, like, because um, he just gets invited 
for these screenings or his films just get invited and he says well the deal is you have to have me there too um so he always has some great stories so with nightfall he said like he wanted it to be completely still but you know obviously because time is passing and there's still movement in terms of time but he didn't want anything moving in the frame and he noticed that there was like this branch that was kind of shaking a little bit so he, he broke, broke off, off the branch of one of the trees <laughs> <laughs> just so he went that's yeah. so funny <laughs> yeah i mean his whole digital period is just incredible and all his stories about that i mean yeah i don't know if you've come across that clip it's only like a three minute clip on youtube where he talks about like how time feels like it goes faster if you're enjoying yourself it's more pleasurable whereas yes. if you know you're bored yeah it's a great little bit and you know he's he's very open because it's like he he says he invites people to like have that experience of you know where your your mind does wander where you start to think about your grocery shopping like that's part of your viewing experience you know because um he was teaching this class about paying attention i think he still is um but the the thing is he's he for some like insurance purposes or whatever he can't take his students out to experience like the outdoors anymore for some reason but um that's one of the things is like you know just no phone um nothing to distract you you're not even allowed to have a a notebook or a camera so you just he takes people out to like you know these remote places where he usually films and just has them experience it and they have to go in pairs you know they you can't just go on your own um and that was the class that he was doing so i thought like oh attention is paramount but no he he's aware that basically (laughs) yeah, yeah your mind will wander you know, uh, long enough if the shot is held long enough, or because you know he says it's like a contract, like um, a movie, say like Thirteen Lakes, where you're watching like a lake for ten minutes. Like, how often do you do that in your real life, where you just go? And I love these like time experiments in terms of like you know the idea behind Small Roads was like the shot lasts as long as the car it takes the car to pass through that road. You know that was the original impetus for it. And yeah, it's amazing. And a lot of his stuff is on YouTube and he's aware of it. He said like, yeah, sharing is caring. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah, that's how I've found a lot of his stuff is just, you know, listed online like YouTube. Um, and I, I definitely appreciate that, especially with niche stuff like this, because it'd be so hard to find if not for right. people sharing it. Um, yeah, and, and I love his stuff like for because for that meditative quality but also because he is aware of like the human element of it too but i always try to approach his stuff like almost like an art installation like you just go and sit and like yes your mind will wander but like when you're able to find those moments of like really clicking in it can be so enriching yeah Uh, yeah yeah. i mean one of my favorite movies uh, that he made in the past couple years is uh l cohen have you seen that one i haven't Oh, yeah, it's incredible. It's only like 45 minutes long. And it, it was okay. when that eclipse happened a couple of years ago. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so he filmed it. He went to, I guess, one of the pathways of the eclipse was like in Oregon somewhere. So he, and yeah, it's just an incredible experience. And you'll you'll definitely get that, you know, what you were just, just mentioning. And um, I would also recommend, if you haven't seen it, 20 Cigarettes. Okay. Have you seen that one? 
Yeah. I haven't. Yeah, like I said, I, I need to go back and watch a bunch of his stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, his human stuff, as oh, rare as rare. it is, where like humans are actually the centerpiece of the work. You know, yeah. Yep. Sometimes you have yep. movies where like, like people, people are passing passed. through, but the human is really him. You know, <laughs> that's that's the human experience. But then sometimes he'll do something like Twenty Cigarettes or um, uh, the other one that he made recently that I really loved was Readers, where he. Um, he just, just films, films like, like four people reading <laughs> books <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. And it's just mostly silent. And he, he said actually, you know, another funny anecdote um, that he filmed one with a kid who was reading a book um, and she uh, and he said it was great, but like he didn't feel like it belonged with the other readers. So he basically just called it like reader or one reader <laughs> and he gave her the only copy of the, that movie. <laughs> so it's just great. for that girl. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah he's, he's fantastic. fantastic. I mean, you know, he, he's getting up there in age and, and that's just what I'm feeling with a lot of my favorite filmmakers. Like, we don't know how much more we're going to get from them, you know? And he's been very prolific too. But uh, still, you know, it's just like I try to appreciate every single one. Have you seen the movie he made with Richard Linklater? I haven't yet, but it's in my watch list. Uh, yeah, the documentary. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's called Double Play. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. that. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's actually made by this film critic, um, Gabe Klinger. So he followed them around. And it's actually part of a... It's one of my favorite like ongoing like film series. It's called like uh, Cinema Notre Temps or Cinema of Our Time. And it's usually like filmmakers making films about other filmmakers. Like one I'm, I'm trying to, to find like a decent copy of is Claire Denis did one on Jacques Rivette. Oh. And even the, the title of it is The Night Watchman. And I'm like, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. The, the, that documentary is great because it's a great intro to Benning if, if people have not seen it. Because, you know, I've, people are mostly familiar with, with Richard Linklater. But, yeah, to find that link and, you know, the stories that they share together are great, you know? Yeah, because Benning is kind of a hard one to recommend to the average film goer. Um, I think that, like there's something in his catalog for everybody. Like there's space, um, you know, for everybody to have that reflection, but it's hard to be like, here, watch this two hour film. That's just B roll of trains. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a little oh. bit hard to pitch. Yeah. That's one of my, <laughs> my favorites. RR. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, that was the first film of his I ever saw. Oh, fantastic. So yeah. Good. I, yeah. I can't even, I, I guess the first film I saw of his was 11 by, uh by 17 i think that's the title uh <laughs> i'm blanking it's the dimensions of paper you know because there's another one called eight by eleven um but yeah his his early work this is another thing like he he has his own like periods too like his early work is very different you know you can get that sense of you know there's certain shots that are held longer but he even started out i guess with with narrative but it's like very slight like, like 11 14 14 by 14 is what people consider to be his, like, first masterpiece. masterpiece. But, but um, yeah, yeah, it has a narrative. There's, like, like a mystery <laughs> in the movie. Um, but, but then, then he also has, like, a, a shot, shot where, um, like, it's a couple making love to, like, a Bob Dylan song. And it lasts the entire length of the song. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so th there's stuff like that. And I, I think you liked one of my reviews for, like, Grand Opera, which surprised me because it was, like, yeah, it was very fastly edited. Like it's, it's it, there, it has like really quick cuts in it, which is incredible. 
Um, it's very uncharacteristic of Benning, but it, it, it's it's still an incredible movie. Yeah, you described it as a cinematic sketchbook. I love that. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like, like uh, yeah, I love I love the idea of, of sketchbooks, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for yeah sure. that's just a great phrase. Wonderful way to describe it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's great to talk to somebody who also loves Benning and is familiar because we seem few and far between these days. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we have to, to get you back and, and discuss <laughs> Benning. Like, let's, yeah, we'll let's do get a into Benning it. deep dive. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, have you even seen the, the California trilogy? I mean, give me some time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, I, yeah. there's so much of his catalog oh, I still need to it, see. I've scratched yeah. the surface. Mm. Oh, oh, also, I, I would highly recommend um, if, if you want to see, like, a great Benning documentary. Because, you know, the double play one is good. It's, like, it's entry level. But the one that really kind of gets under his skin a little bit and, like, you really get a sense of who he is is um, this, this documentary called... Um, uh, uh circle circling the image and it was like made for like german tv i'm not sure if it's on youtube but one of my i'll send you the link but like one of my favorite clips of on youtube of james benning is from that documentary and it's like a crew was following him around while he was making um 13 lakes and okay. yeah it really taps into his philosophy like it has voiceover by him um and uh like yeah he he talks about like um the california trilogy which is i think actually for most people if um if i was introducing benning like that would be where i would start um is with the california trilogy but yeah uh and i mean that would also if i could only pick like one benning that would be it <laughs> too I, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's the one i probably would rewatch the most you know uh it's just amazing so okay, yeah I maybe we could start that. with that yeah, yeah, California trilogy. Get on it, <laughs> and it, it has has a beautiful remaster, by the way, too, because um, uh, he actually donated all his um his films that were shot on film to um, the Austrian Film Museum, and um, yeah, his his deal with them was like, okay, I'm gonna give give you all my my films because he stopped shooting on film because the you know the preservation and the development just wasn't uh good anymore you know like uh it was disappearing so he's just like i can't keep this like you know and he lives in california like you have to keep your your cans in temperature controlled environment so he just gave them all to and that was the deal was that they were supposed to um like preserve them and then also remaster them so they've been actually like it's it's an ongoing project that they've been releasing his films you know on dvd and that's, and that's where, where actually a lot of these youtube rips are coming from are from the DVDs. Oh, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why they look really nice. And you know, they they've been learning cuz like um RR was actually window boxed, which is like the worst way to transfer the movie. <laughs> so it's like a weird square with black borders on top and the bottom and on the sides. <laughs> uh but yeah, they they they've gradually been improving it. Um yeah, the the, the later releases, like the most recent one was um uh Grand Opera and it's paired with um O Panama which is like a really rare bending film. Like, you know, only shitty copies existed before. So to see that is incredible because it's the only film he made with um with a, a star. It has um uh Willem Dafoe in it. Oh, no way. I did not know yeah. he made a movie with Willem yeah. Dafoe. Yeah, and it, it's like, 
you know <laughs> 80s willem dafoe you know when he was doing like the loveless and yeah. um oh my I, gosh wait what is this called uh oh panama <laughs> Yeah, and it's a, in a short film, and I remember too because it's about a man who's like really sick, and I watched it while I was sick. So it's like a perfect parallel, you know. It's like a fever dream of a man. So wow, yeah, it, oh my gosh, it's worth you're like giving out. me an education right now. I love it. Yeah, well, well, yeah, we'll we'll get into it in the when we we really do a deep dive in Benning. I'm looking Look forward, forward to that. To it. Yeah, Jinx. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. All right. All right. Um, okay. So I just wanted to ask to. Um, so would you write your reviews? Like, what's your process? Oh gosh, I don't know that I have one. <laughs> okay. Um, I yeah. Uh, so sometimes, uh, if I have the opportunity and it feels right, I'll take notes while I'm watching a movie. Um, but it's more often the case that uh, as soon as it ends, I'll kind of just start. I'll. I, I sometimes get like one thought stuck in my head um, and I'll just kind of build from there, whether it's a line, um, maybe a piece of dialogue from the film or just like a general feeling. And I'll start there and then just kind of uh, do a train of thought and then uh, sometimes edit quite a bit, sometimes not sometimes post it and then realize that I should have edited it. Um, <laughs> well, you can still edit it after the fact, right? Like, oh, Letterbox yeah. has an edit button. No, it's true. Um, but it's just kind of that feeling of like, oh, I should have changed that. Uh, yeah, so so I don't know. I kind of approach it differently depending on the mm. film. I mean, I'm going to review something like Pacific Rim or maybe a little bit differently than Persona. Uh, For sure. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, it just kind of comes down to how I watch the film. Um you know, if, I, if I'm in a theater, of course, I'm not really going to be taking notes or anything like right. that. But if I'm at home, um, sometimes I will uh, if something really sticks out to me. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, I definitely approach my reviews from a very, like, emotional place. Uh, sure. I sometimes wish that I had gone to film school and... and no, no. <laughs> Every time I say that to somebody who's been to film school, they have that exact reaction. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to believe it, but it's hard. It's yeah, hard yeah. sometimes because I feel like I, I lack the academic lens. No. But it, you know, I, I'm trying to embrace that more about my reviews, where um, I've only had my own perspective. Like I haven't had a professor, or somebody. To, to tell me to watch films a certain way. So the only way I know how to understand them is through how they make me feel. So it, it, it's always very emotional. It's always very, um, you know, I, I loved this and I was thrilled and excited or, you know, this made me feel very calm and meditative or whatever in between. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's, uh, if that counts as process, that's my process. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I love that. Uh, I mean... You know, in terms of education, like, I don't think you need to go to film school. Like, all you need to do is, like, look at reviewers who are already out there. Like, it's all free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, there, there's certain places I would probably recommend, you know, where they actually do, like, go beyond just, like, you know, the capsule review. Uh, I mean, uh, the Museum of Moving Image had, like, a blog, which I don't know if they still maintain, called Reverse Shot. Are you familiar with it? I'm not. Oh yeah, it's great. Reverse shot is great, and there's another one that I'm blanking on, but I just, I just remember like it, it was, like college thesis level, 
of oh <laughs> of a gosh. breakdown of um Terrence Malick's uh the new world. Like it had, you know, um like stills and then like a breakdown of it and you know obviously uh like David Boardwell does that too. Like he even calls his stills like figures. You know, it's like figure one, this shot was like blah blah blah. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I would say like you could definitely learn more from from those than you would at film school, and you, and don't, you don't you can save your money. That's true. I, I yeah. yeah, it's just uh, sometimes I feel a little bit like behind the terminology. Like I I nah, I very much learn just through conversation, which I think has been um, very beneficial to me in honing my my own perspective. But uh, anyway, right. yes, I approach everything very much emotionally and almost never academically. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I think I, think I do too. Like, I think for me, it's, it's more, more about, about just hitting a flow. And like, like um, yeah. I, I don't remember if, you know, because I, I started posting reviews online through Mubi initially, like when it was still oh, called The Auteurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, was, it used to be called The Auteurs. I was like one of the first people to use that site. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, we built like a community. You used to have a forum. Actually, funnily enough, relating to slow cinema, like one of the most popular lists on on movie, and I'm just tooting my own horn here, is the slow cinema starter pack, and that's my list. <laughs> I didn't know I was in the presence of a star. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, people keep liking it, and they're still commenting, like, years later, and I haven't been active on movie. And, like, you know, it's always like, oh, can you add this to the list? I mean, even um certain filmmakers, like Jenny Olsen, are you familiar with her? Uh, uh, no, but you need to move this list over to Letterboxd, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but I don't want to pay for Letterboxd. That's my problem. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, yeah, yeah, to, in order to import it. I mean, I I don't know. Like, it, it's such a massive list. Like, that was the joke, that it's a starter pack, but it's like, you know, it, it it's the full range. Like, it's it's like Ozu to Benning, like, you know, and, and everything else in between. Because, um yeah, it, I was really into it, like... Uh, there was a another blog. I forgot the name of the guy, but I reference it in the list. Um, and he was do he was covering slow cinema, and he had all these like subcategories, and like I was just obsessed with it because I was like, oh, Karismaki counts as slow cinema, and then you know, but Benning as well. You know, it's like they, they just there be comedic ones, and like there was even a trend with slow cinema for a while where it was like movies that would go very very slow, but it would lead to like a really violent climax. Yeah, so like um, an example of that, and I guess kind of a spoiler is um, Los Bastardos by um, uh, which I nobody ever talks about anymore. Uh, Amat Escalante, um, uh, or you know even like the films of uh, Regadas tends to have like you know crazy climaxes. You know Carlos Regadas, and they're often compared. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah it, that, that list, list on movie. <laughs> slow st- uh, yeah I'll, I'll send you the link to it if you can't yes, find it but yeah do. yeah it, it's wild um yeah you're even getting some celeb action like you were saying i didn't I even guess, cut you off when you were <laughs> you were leaning no, into that no no i mean the the thing is nobody knows it's me because like i'm you know i'm using my astrofish um username <laughs> so they don't know that uh like who this is i'm just an anonymous guy and like my photo on movie is like pusheen eating cheetos oh cute so, <laughs> so yeah i don't use my my real photo uh you know so i'm just like in yeah i i guess because 
I didn't need to because so much uh, like Mubi really removed like the social media aspect of that site, and that's why I guess I eventually moved to Letterbox. Uh, because yeah, before you used to have your own page, and it would have your reviews, and you could they even allowed us to like code, and like you know change the look of, and there was uh, I'll always. Oh, no way. For, yeah, I'll yeah, never forget, yeah, like, one of the people who had the best page, uh, their name was Grey Daisies. And I wasn't really sure, like, what their gender was or who they were because they were just so anonymous. So <laughs> I always just referred to them as they. But, uh, yeah, um, uh, they always, like, just were coding geniuses. Like, their pages just looked incredible. And they would change it all the time. The same way, you know, people flip through their, their top four in letterbox, like, his thing, it would like have letters, or their thing would be like have letters that would be like sparkling or something like that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, Mubi was an incredible site for a while, and then eventually it just kind of petered out. And I think one of my favorite though, like kind of spinoffs of Mo- the Mubi forums, I-, I never really got into it because I- at that time. I already just didn't have time for forums anymore. But uh, it it actually promotes like intelligent. The uh, film discussion is um, they call it Super Champion Film Zone. <laughs> That's the name of the website. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it's a forum that they just created. And I I know a lot of those people like Ruby. Um, and yeah, they're awesome people, and they created this site. And I'm I'm actually friends with some of the people in real life. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just amazing that they at least that was kind of the continuation of the movie forums after they they basically ended it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't even remember how, how I, I brought, brought up movie <laughs> like what that came up. Uh, your slow uh, cinema list. Oh yeah, and then uh, the reviews, you know, and yes. yeah, it, it's like I, I, I I'll say this, you know, for um, you know, imparting some experience, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, having read other critics and uh, you know, one of my favorite actually essential texts on criticism is um. Uh, Against Interpretation by Susan Sontag. Have you read that? I haven't. Oh, oh man. You have, have to read it, Kay. Because oh, I think wait. your reviews fall under what, what she's trying to promote. Oh, really? Which is, yeah, that basically, like, uh, she's very anti. If if she had lived to see Letterboxd, she would do, like, Against Interpretation uh, a rebuttal or uh, a follow-up. <laughs> because, because what she talks about in that is like this whole thing of like critics imposing too much of you know their perspective that it's not about the movie anymore it's about them and that's like a typical like bullshit letterbox review which is like it has nothing to do with the movie anymore it's like oh i went to this movie with my dad and then my dad like killed someone you know it's like (laughs) some sort of story or like bad like stand-up shit you know I, that was a better review than the actual review i read actually <laughs> but um you know it's like it, it that's what people do and i mean you know i'm, I'm guilty of, of posting some jokey reviews too you know um sometimes but uh but yeah like uh when it's just like that over and over again and there's no like substance at all um you know i'm just uh yeah i i, I grow weary of it um, and one last thing, though, I will just say about Letterboxd is that you're wrong about Elvis, by the way. <laughs> oh, we could have a you're whole wrong. discussion about Elvis. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I ever discussed it properly on the show. But uh, yeah, when I'm up for it. But it's a weird thing. Like, I'm having like a kind of um, 
a, a flashback experience about it with Blonde. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Blonde. No, I I have some hesitations about sure. seeing that. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, but you know, there's that weird connection too that they're both about American celebrities, but mm. um, they're directed by two Australians, and they're very like <laughs> just bombastic, like just throwing everything in in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm actually gonna be discussing Blonde on a future episode. Uh, I actually, and I'll be honest, at this point in time, I haven't finished it. I've only seen an hour of it and I keep falling asleep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, it's that good, huh? Yeah, it's that good. Yeah. I mean, it's ambient, you know? Uh, I love it. Um, yeah, it's my lo fi uh, music playlist, is <laughs> blonde. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I might like go deeper with Elvis with that too because of the parallels um but specifically one quality but yeah I'm gonna save that for that episode but yeah I think you're wrong I'll just say that (laughs) respectfully disagree Uh, (laughs) fair enough I will do a virtual handshake (laughs) okay that's fair all right uh I guess I'm also just curious um this is just totally random do you remember who followed first on Letterboxd? Did you follow me first oh. or did I follow you? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> That's yeah, a great question. Yeah, I don't even remember how I came across your profile. Because, Neither do I. <laughs> yeah, I I tend to not follow people on Letterboxd. Like, people just follow me. But, you know, when I come across like a good review, I mean, I probably will have to go back. I don't know if there's like a record of like the reviews you've liked uh, if you have access to that and obviously i don't pay for for letterbox so i don't know if that's like a a pro or a page a patron feature where you can see the reviews you've liked because maybe if i track back i'll see like the first ever review of yours that i liked and maybe that's where it all started it would be cool if you could see like your history with other users but yeah i i don't know i haven't dug into letterbox features like that as much as maybe yeah because you are a patron right I am. I just, I use it every day. I was like, I should give a little back. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Yeah. Gosh, okay. yeah. I don't know. Now I'm very curious about how we first, uh, quote unquote, met. Uh- <laughs> yeah. And then how we first, like, started interacting, too. Because, you know, uh, I mean, I understand being a woman on that site. Like, are you, a lot of you are very grateful that there's no DM feature. i'm sure um because i think when i first started following too you didn't use uh that is a photo of you right yes that is me Um, okay yeah i forget who i had before i think i was using a picture from the love witch because i love that movie (laughs) yeah uh the the crazy thing though no offense but like there's other people who also do that (laughs) uh there's other people i follow that also use the love witch as their profile photo so um yeah maybe that was it uh i don't know yeah um but yes it is me now and yes i'm glad letterbox does not have dms um um, but no i think uh it's just kind of like the case of being a woman in a male-dominated space and film is very much that in many ways. Uh, so mm-hmm. you kind of just like, you know, you just know what you're getting in for. But yeah, right. uh, Letterboxd overall is is a very good community in my experience. Yeah. You, yeah. you don't have like, do you have like reply guys? Like guys that are always like commenting on your reviews? Uh, Other than I mean, me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean no. like here and there. Um, none currently, just yeah. my mutual 
follows. Gotcha. All right. And um, yeah, do you follow back everybody that follows you, or do you just select? No, I'm you? I'm choosy. Because uh, okay. you know, if, oh, if, what an honor. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like if I'm going to be looking at somebody's reviews, I want to actually, I don't know, I, I don't follow people just for the sake of it. I, I want to follow people who write things I'm interested in or who have a uh, taste that I'm interested in. Like, I follow people who watch some, like, very crunchy VHS type stuff that nobody else watches. So, yeah, uh, I like to curate who I follow. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, and I'm, I'm not a ashamed to say it that like i do tend to follow people whose whose tastes also kind of align with mine yeah um he's changed his name a couple of times but now he's going by jay winston are you familiar with him do you follow him uh i don't know i would have to check it doesn't oh, ring man. a bell with me he he tends to review a lot of godard films and romare and hal hartley who are some of my favorite filmmakers so um yeah but his reviews are incredible and sometimes he is posting like a thesis or a dissertation on a movie like he goes there like they, they are super long reviews and he's yeah he's one of my favorites on letterbox like worth a follow i think yeah he's he's jay winston right now <laughs> that's the name he's he's going by which i think is his actual name uh but yeah he his uh his profile pic is like an old man so <laughs> i and i know that's not him because he used to use his his actual profile picture um but yeah, the, there's people like that. And of course you. Um, and I'm, I'm blanking on some other people. I mean, there's some people that I follow that are also my friends in real life that um, that are also really good reviewers. Um, actually, the, the two guys, they have their own podcast and their own website. Oh, speaking of reviews, by the way, and this is an incredible website. I highly recommend um, The Pink Smoke. Yeah, and they also have like a, a podcast that's great. Um uh, but their site is incredible because, you know, it, it covers the range. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Marcus Pinn, cover, um, contributes to that site. And uh, one of my favorite series that they have is it, it's called um, uh, Story of My Life Through Movies. And yeah, and it's just like an ongoing thing where like they'll discuss like movies that that mean something to them, you know, and it, it comes from like a genuine and sincere place. But then, yeah, they're, they're also super intelligent. So like, you know, that kind of academic sounding, uh, writing pushes through that too, you know? So yeah, pink smoke, highly recommended. Yeah. I went ahead and, and pinned a tab. So I'll be checking that out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I'm surprised by a lot of things that I didn't even realize, like, you know, really? in terms of, yeah, yeah, that you're into slow cinema. I mean, I, I, I skipped over some of my other notes because I didn't want to go too long. But, you know, <laughs> you admit uh, I, I also liked your review of the works and days of um, Tayoko Sojuri in the Shotani Basin because I, yeah, I saw that movie, too. Yeah. And I wanted to talk more about like long movies. Is that the longest movie you've ever seen? Um, uh, maybe, I think maybe Gia, the family, is longer. Uh, I think that one's like 8 hours, 20 minutes, but I can definitely check hmm. my diary. Uh, let me see oh, what yeah. is the longest film I've, <laughs> I've watched. Uh, man, I love Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah, that is great that you can see that. Yeah, let's see, sort by film length longest list. Uh, let's see here. So it says, yeah, that is the longest film. Um, wow. After that is a Satan Tango. 
Yeah, yeah. another yeah. incredible long film. So good. Yeah, uh, that mm-hmm. movie is amazing. I can't. I didn't even mean to watch the whole thing in one go. I just did. I like once I started, <laughs> I couldn't stop watching it. Yeah. I was like, I'll give it a little more time, a little more time, and then I just like kept watching it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you're not hooked by the beginning of the film and how they made those cows move in that direction, um, and yeah, that performance by um Mihaly Vig. Who's also the composer is just man. Yeah, I, I think I, yeah, I have I'm, Satan Tango as well on vinyl because yeah, that's a <sighs> great score. Lucky, that's one I want to pick mm. up on Blu-ray as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what's that company that's been releasing it? Um, Arabellos. I think um, so. Yeah, 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 they're they're doing a great job. Uh, I have their um uh their release of um Damnation. Uh, which oh, is also is. great. Yeah. yeah, have you seen that one? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's great. The, it's, it's the, the first, first collaboration with Bellatar and um, Laszlo Krasnohorkai. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah the, that's, that's what established what was known to be his style. Because the movies before that, they don't, they're not quite like the same. Like you know, I mean, he did like do Macbeth, which was only like two shots, and it was like shot on video. <laughs> so, uh, but other than that, like the, his earlier movies, they're like more like Cassavetes films. Uh, I need to watch yeah. Cassavetes too. Yeah, I, have so I mean, many he, blind he's, spots. <laughs> he's another guy that's like I, I, you know, you really have to get into his wavelength because it's an adjustment. You know, uh, they look like normal movies, and obviously, if you're familiar with with Peter Falk, you know, as Columbo. You know, it's just strange, you know. It's oh my gosh, I just started watching Columbo, like, a few Columbo's days ago. Columbo's great. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I would even recommend just, like, um, uh, I guess as a good entry point towards Cassavetes is actually a movie that Cassavetes didn't direct, uh, but is one of his best performances as an actor. Um, he's in it with Peter Falk. It's called Mikey and Nikki. I've had that recommended. So I didn't, mm. I mentioned this before when you asked, but I do keep a short queue. So when things are recommended to me or when somebody's mm. like, you have to see this, I actually have a private list on Letterboxd that I don't allow to exceed uh, more than 10. And that's my short queue. Nice. So I try to watch at okay. least one or two of those per week. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so Mikey and Nikki. And so is it like that, that kind of thing, thing where somebody, somebody keeps recommending to me it to you and it's like, oh, okay, okay now I got to watch it because exactly. it's like three people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I will. You, you can expect to see that one soon on my oh, on my letterbox. Yes, yes. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Um, because yeah, it, it's an incredible film, and I I I want to watch more Elaine May movies. I mean, you know, Ishtar is the massive one that I still haven't gotten around to. But everything else that I've seen her do, like she did um, uh, what was that movie with Charles Grodin and um, Sybil Shepherd? I'm blanking on it. It was remade with um. Uh, with Ben, ben Stiller. Stiller. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but Elaine May had, had like, like an incredible, incredible filmography, you know. Um, uh, and yeah, it just all came crashing down oh, with Heartbreak um, Kid. Heartbreak, Heartbreak Kid, Kid, yes, yeah, yeah that's, that's fantastic. fantastic. And then <laughs> a new leaf, that's also really good. Uh, yeah, I think she only made like four movies, like because yeah, Ishtar was just such a disaster. Oh no! Well, all of her movies are in my watch list, so I will get to them yeah. soon. 
Yeah, I mean, she yeah, she she deserves an episode. I think um, we might have to plan that down the line somewhere. That we should do all four. And yeah, Ishtar is my last one that I haven't seen. So, uh, hopefully well, we we'll both get have something waiting for us then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I don't know if you mind if we include that little bit too. <laughs> we just oh, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, so we'll include that, Steve. If we're um, recording, like... it's all good. Thank you, okay, Steve. Okay, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Steve. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, let's get to the meat of this episode. Well, yeah, really started it, but I, I just really want to start, too, by um, noting that uh, today is October 3rd, and things come in threes. So um, there's three things I, I want to no- um, mention about this day. Number one, it's my mom's birthday. So happy birthday, happy birthday. Yeah, happy, happy birthday, mom. Thanks, thanks for everything. And, and uh, uh, today is also National Boyfriend, boyfriend Day. <laughs> so <laughs> happy <laughs> National Boyfriend Day to all those who have boyfriends. Uh, <laughs> and um, the third is that it's also the anniversary, the 22nd anniversary of one of my all-time favorite rock albums, which is American Dawn by Don Caballero. And in a weird way, it ties to movie because... Uh, I discovered Don Caballero because of somebody I met through movie who I like, we just ended up being like super close. Like his username is Colonel Dax. I don't know if he wants people to know what his real name is. Uh, we ha- we've, we've kind of lost touch, but yeah, he introduced me to Don Caballero and it just blew my mind. And American Dawn is, you know, arguably their best album. So happy anniversary. I'm right there with you. Fire back about your new baby sex is like so good. Oh my god. <laughs> You've listened to American Dawn? Yeah. Oh wow. I don't know anybody who knows this album. Like every time I mention it, like it just their eyes just glaze over. They're like, what is American Dawn? <laughs> no, yeah. it's it's great. I'm surprised you mentioned that. Cause yeah, I've never heard anybody mention that one either. But yeah, that track in particular has made an appearance on multiple spotify playlists of mine <laughs> that's wild uh okay give me an example of a playlist like uh, you know if it's not too revealing like wh- what, what kind, kind of playlist of- would it fall into oh well like the most prominent one is just like a catch-all like i have a constant listener mix which is just like stuff oh, that yeah. i like but then the mm-hmm. other one that it's on is this playlist just called more music should sound like this um so- <laughs> <laughs> So I don't really, there's not like a, it's not like a specific theme, like night music or anything like that. It's, it's right. more just like, it's, it's one that has been in repeated listening for me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> wow. This is wow. a first. Oh my God. I can't believe this, you know, see my, I've been vindicated again. I'm just so good at picking guests for this show. I'm sorry. I just sorry, have I to say, it. but like, like man, man, I did not know <laughs> this. Like this Another is incredible. virtual handshake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, two handshakes. Let's let's cross hands, like both of them. Oh my god! Like yeah, I'm. I just. I mean, we could go into a whole episode just about this album, but I will just say to just relating to, um, you know, I I collect vinyl. I obviously brought that up a couple of times, but I, I distinctly remember you used to have a profile picture too. Where were you like with vinyl too? Yeah, the one where I was just like sitting um, in front of some lights. Yeah, I remember that one. Uh, That was, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, I feel weird that I remember that, but I guess it makes sense that I do. It would be weirder if I didn't, I suppose. 
Um, but yeah, I know what photo you're talking about. That is my, my tiny record collection. Um, I live in a, I'm living the tiny apartment life. I live in a very, very small apartment. So the vinyl I collect is very selective. Um, oh, you have yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I got to lug it all around. Yada, yada. Um, yeah. but yeah, so the, what you saw there is, is all I own, but I hope to become okay. a more significant collector in the future. <laughs> no, no, don't. don't. I'm telling don't, you now, I'm warning you as a massive that. collector whose collection is approaching a thousand like don't do it it it's it's a gift and a curse <laughs> like you you just start accumulating it and it's bad like i'm I'm trying to offload a lot of my collection i mean maybe you can send you some uh, i was just gonna say <laughs> um do you have american dawn on vinyl i don't oh my god okay but you have do you have it in some sort of physical media like the cd no or no okay no. well I will say it's worth getting uh, on physical media, but specifically the the first issue of the vinyl because there's a there's a repress which is the most common one that you'll find around. You can probably buy it on Amazon. It's um it's just that single sleeve thing, but the original pressing of it was a was a gatefold. And yeah, the gatefold and also the CD, you know, when you open the little booklet thing, reveals the middle which is like a car crash. And, and that's, that's so, so significant because you know the story, right? Like, like what happened with Don, Don Caballero Cam after this album? Uh, no, actually. Okay, okay so, so um, uh, Ian Williams and uh, <laughs> we're getting into like a whole sidetrack with this, but I let I'll just do this and then we'll move on. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, uh, so Ian Williams and Damon Che, two generational musical geniuses, both in the same band with massive egos. Like, like hated each other you know at this point you know they've they've, they've been collaborating since like maybe 92 um i think yeah their the first album was uh for respect which came out in 93 so uh they also had like a revolving um like roster of band members they were the only one that were constant from the first album onwards but yeah they just hated each other and um like damon che actually talks about it like in an interview where he says like you know i I, I, I like, like Ian, Ian, but he's my, my musical enemy, enemy, which I just love, <laughs> you know, because the, the result is this album, which also, you know, legendarily like recorded by um, Steve Albini and Steve Albini knows how to like, um, or Albini, I think. Yeah, because they, they play that pun with Albini babies. I forgot if that's how it's pronounced. But yeah, you know, obviously he he infamously recorded um, in, in Utero, Nirvana's last album. And they recorded this album. And one of the things that Steve Albini does so well is record drummers. And, you know, Don Caballero is really like a drum-driven band, you know. And that was like the first time I'd ever heard it. So anyway, they had come to a head at this point. And they hated each other. And they were on tour for, you know, promoting the, the album. And they got into uh, their van crashed. Like, I think they slid on some ice. Oh, and then yeah there's a whole article written by chunklet about it but it's kind of annoying because the article is just like scanned that's the only way that you can read it online is like a scanned oh. pdf yeah you can't like read it as like a text article like i've been meaning to like copy and paste it and actually have just like regular text that i can read because the scan is like newsprint and uh but yeah like that's what it talks about like after that accident they were just like we're yeah we got to break up you know like this is it um we're done you know and uh annoyingly damon che actually 
put the band back together without Ian Williams and or any of the other original band members and just added like this band that was like a Don Cab um tribute band. <laughs> and then they released a couple of albums on uh I think it was Relapse, like a metal uh label, and it was just both of them are awful. Um, and it's just so annoying to see like the live versions of like them performing the older Don Cab songs, um, because yeah, it just sucks, you know. Uh, <laughs> like, what is this uh, fake band doing? But then taking taking the Don Cab name, but yeah, like, so yeah, it's so symbolic that you know, in that middle of the gatefold of the Don Cab, um, the American Don vinyl is a car crash because that basically ended the band. You know. Dang. Okay, I need to yeah. see if I can get my hands on that then. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's worth looking for. Like, if you can find the the gatefold American Dawn. I mean, and it's also a great cover. Like the the photography on it. Like it, it it's one of my favorite styles of portrait because I remember I'd seen a portrait like that before where it's like you know the back of somebody's head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Instead yeah. of the the front of them, and it's just yeah, incredible stuff. You know. Wow. wow. Well, happy birthday to that record. I'm glad we yeah. had that sidetrack. Yeah, 22 years old wow. today. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we're finally here. The meat of the episode. The reason why you're here, Kay, is because yes. we're going to discuss Over the Garden Wall. Let's dig in. All right. So, yeah, let's start with how did you first experience Over the Garden Wall? How did you discover it? Like, what was that like? Yeah, uh, so I walked in on my friends watching this. Um, I had gone over to spend some time with them, and they were just in the middle of one of the episodes, and I was like, oh, what are you watching? Um, And we ended up watching the end of the episode together, and I was like, oh, I really need to make some time for this. So sometime shortly thereafter, I sat down and watched it and was like, this is where it's at i love this um because it's just so up my alley it's it's very wholesome it's it's but it's not too sugary like it is very adorable and very sentimental but it just clicked with me um and since then it's become an absolute staple for me i watched at least a few times a year like at least one or two times wow yeah um it's my comfort food it's like right awesome. up there with Lord of the Rings as to something I could watch really any time, any any place, any you know, with any people. Uh, and it's one the of the extended my... versions. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I have to make sure. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but with uh, Over the Garden Wall, it's become one of my favorite things to put on, like when I'm not feeling well. Uh, when I got the awesome. flu a few years ago, I remember uh, I it was on Hulu at the time, and Hulu you could like. It had some feature where it would like loop something over and over again. Um, and oh, so, nice. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's still a thing, but I just remember I had the flu and I put on Over the Garden Wall and it just started looping. So as soon as it ended, it would just start playing again. <laughs> um, and I must have watched it all the way through like five or six times. Well, maybe not like watching every single episode because I'd fall asleep and we'd fuck up. Sure. But anyway, it's it's just kind of become like one of those, one of those things where... Um, Honestly, even just today before joining you to record this, like I watched it all the way through once and then started it again just because it's so <laughs> it's so easy for me. Um, yeah, that's like a little bit of how, how I've gotten familiar with it. Wow. 
That's incredible. I mean, yeah, just the fact that you, because I save it for Halloween. Like, I want this to be like an October tradition, you know, that I'll watch it every October, which I just did in order to prepare for this show. But I feel like, you know, there's something about it that I want to share with other people. Like, I want other people to see it, and this is the perfect time. Yeah. But yeah, right now, I don't have anybody to discuss it with other than you. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, but eventually I want to like cast that net out wide and and see how it affects other people. So, yeah, how would you describe Over the Garden Wall? Like, what what is it about? Like, you know, and you you described a little bit about like how it's wholesome um, and charming. Yeah, um, well, it's I think it's from the same creative director who did uh, Adventure Time and yes. Gravity Falls. So people who are familiar with those can kind of get an idea for the flavor of this one. Um, obviously, Over the Garden Wall, as you alluded to, is, is autumnal. Um, it's very much in line with like spooky Halloween stuff, um, though it premiered actually in November after Halloween, which I think is interesting um, on Cartoon Network. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it is. It is a cartoon. It is a uh, very sweet. Uh, it did premiere on Cartoon Network, so it has, I think, like that PG kind of like <laughs> filtering on it. Maybe filtering isn't the right <laughs> word, but like it has a little bit of adult humor, but it's mostly geared towards children. Um, but what works so well about it is even though it has that like sugary, adorable, like kid kind of like blur to it, um, it deals with some like heavier themes too and it's also like very accessible and engaging for adults um like some of my uh like my close friends who are adults love this as well so it's just uh it's one that bridges the gap i think in a lot of ways uh gosh i didn't i don't know if that really describes it though it's it's a it's a short uh it's a it's a mini series. <laughs> Gosh, I'm just <laughs> Ten rambling. Episode mini- no, I'm, no, that's fine. I'm just I lost track of my thoughts for a second there. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's just like a little animated mini series on Cartoon Network. It's great. Um, it follows two half brothers as they tumble over the garden wall and uh, into um, a kind of storybook esque land and have to find their way back home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I don't know who would be listening to this and not have seen the show, but yeah, I, I should just mark that right now that, you know, if you haven't seen Over the Garden Wall, we're going to go into spoilers. It's just yeah, impossible, impossible not to discuss mm-hmm. it without going to spoilers. So if, if anybody's listening, you know, this is your time now to catch up, pause us, and then come back. <laughs> it's only um, about an hour and a half, so it's worth the time. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the length of a feature film, it you is. know, just to watch all of it. Uh, but I will say, though, I mean, I loved how, you know, you mentioned the original broadcast. I think that's the other funny thing, mentioning Hulu, is that it tells you the original broadcast dates. Um, but I did notice that, like, one of them was off because it was like, did they change the chronology of the episodes? Because one of them says that it was broad. Like, it, I can't remember what specific episode, but let, let's just say it was like episode four and episode five and like the date of episode five was earlier than episode four which was strange yeah it was but the uh, from what i deduce from like what hulu has it, it basically played like two episodes a night uh for five days and so they were all paired together um and uh one of the other interesting thing 
this too is that every title card that reveals the we should say it's a chapter not an episode uh title is um it actually reflects the phase of the moon of that night when they broadcast the show which no is... way i didn't oh know you didn't that. know that <gasps> i didn't oh, know man. that oh my gosh <laughs> well watch so out for cool. you on your next review yeah i will yeah there's uh, there's always something because oh, yeah. it's so detailed mm-hmm. yeah, even the wow. opening title card uh that says over the garden wall there's all these little like shadow drawings that yeah i noticed like... that for each for each chapter uh, yeah so yeah i mean that attention to detail like the way i describe it is actually and this might sound more like the pretentious version of what you were describing is <laughs> that it's it's a charming melancholy pathos like that's the the vibe i get from the show that's a much more know? succinct way to put it yes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like you were saying too it's like it's a comfort show like i, I put that in my notes yeah it, it totally is like and I think, you know, you mentioned Gravity Falls. Like, there's something about it where... Because um, gra- I discovered this through Gravity Falls. Like, yeah, that was my gateway. Yeah, because um, there's there's some connections. Obviously, um, Pat McHale uh, appears in Gravity Falls as Hector gone. And uh, him and Alex Hirsch are actually my age, you know. So I think... I get a lot of their references and like what well, you know they they capture how it feels like you know they they tap into my childhood you know that's how it was for me growing up you know without social media uh yeah I'm aging myself here but but yeah that it's a bygone era like you know I mean it was great like I love that I I lived without you know smartphones uh as a kid uh but yeah like um that was definitely there's there's also some other weird links like you know um melanie linsky who voices uh beatrice is married to jason ritter who who voices dipper pines oh i didn't know that (laughs) yeah you have all the trivia that's okay yeah i do yeah (laughs) this is how we do movie food by the way yeah (laughs) i just drop like random trivia all throughout i love it teach me yeah 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 i mean i'm surprised because you're the more experienced one i've only seen this show twice you know this was my recent reviewing was only the second go around um but yeah, like the you know, there's there's all these little things. Um, yeah, that kindred spirit of of the two shows. I mean, I think I mentioned that in my letterbox review where I just felt like um, Mabel Pines and and Greg are like cut from yeah. the same cloth. You know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm totally charmed by them, and uh, yeah, that pays off later on too. Uh, I also want to say too that I rented an office uh, like a couple years ago. That was in the same building as Cartoon Network. What? Like unintentionally, I just like was like, <laughs> oh, there's available office space here, and then it was like they they probably took over like two of the floors of of that building. Oh, and that must have been it, so cool. Yeah, and it was like impossible not to like you know go through the lobby. Uh, like there's like a mezzanine lobby. It's like an alternate exit to the building. Uh, I mean, people can just look it up. They'll know where that building is. It's in Burbank. Um, but yeah, uh, you you pass through their lobby and, you know, it, it's what you would imagine Cartoon Network's lobby looks like. It's very colorful. They have like comic books in there. That's so <laughs> you know, cool. Yeah. yeah. And that's just what I was thinking when I was passing through. I was like, you know, this is the place where Over the Garden Wall was made. You know, <laughs> Like this oh is where God. the magic happened. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love yeah. Cartoon Network too. They've created so many shows that I just am obsessed with. 
Absolutely. So are you were you a fan of Adventure Time before this or Oh yeah. In fact, okay. I wanted to mention uh touching back on our vinyl conversation. I I have the soundtrack for Over the Garden Wall on vinyl. No way. I do. It's I, so rare and expensive. I, I want it too. It. I have it. I have it <laughs> oh um, my from God. the Mondo release. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's the like autumn I almost uh, said autumnal again. But yes, it's that color <laughs> Um, like caramel mm-hmm. color, and then I have the four Sarah cassette as well. Um, so I'm wow. a big fan. But I mentioned that Amazing. because I also have uh, the Adventure Time series vinyl collection. Um, okay. So I'm in deep. I I, I love Adventure <laughs> Time. I love cartoons. Uh, okay. It's, it's such fantastic. Good soul food. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm. You know, I've only seen one episode of Adventure Time, but I love it. There's so, oh, it's such a rich world. <laughs> yeah, the the. Do you want to know which episode I've seen? Yeah, you're gonna laugh once you find out. Which one? It's um, it's root beer guy. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, and it's fantastic. Like, and the only reason why I know about that episode was I I worked in a bookstore where we had like Adventure Time postcards. Okay. And and there was one root beer guy like riding the subway train. And I was like, what is this? I need to see this. So then, how did you see that? Yeah, it's, okay, you're telling me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, yeah. yeah the, the, so the, I I think all the episodes are on Hulu as well. So yeah, I just looked for the Root Beer Guy episode and watched it. <laughs> but yeah, oh, okay. I, I've been meaning to go back and then just, just watch everything else. I mean, I'm speaking to you right now. I have like a little like uh, three-inch figure of BMO. Oh, cute. <laughs> yeah, on my table. Yeah, my kid robot. And like, uh, yeah, I guess that's also another favorite Adventure Time clip that I've seen because I haven't seen the full episode. But it's it's where BMO kind of uh, they fall in love with uh, with that bubble. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! <laughs> I need to revisit this show. It's been so long. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I was totally was charmed so by that too. Yeah, but yeah, I got I, I gotta it. go back. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you have a deep dive to do. I have a deep dive revisit to do. Okay. Um, but yes, I I love Adventure Time um, and a lot of stuff that Cartoon Network has put out. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and actually, it's in my notes. I was gonna ask you if you had Over the Garden Wall, <laughs> the soundtrack on vinyl, and I sure enough, you, you do. It. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting because I I heard that basically Mondo plans to like keep it in print. So I'm I'm definitely not splurging that hundred bucks, the or however much it's going for right now. I haven't even looked. Yeah. I got it when it was first released, and yeah, uh, yeah, that's I will fingers crossed for you, my friend. Ah uh, <laughs> yes, please. I mean, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get, get into in- those songs that I want to replay, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, we should say like you know, music is definitely a big part of the show, and it begins with um. Uh, kind of a montage with a frog playing the piano with like a very deep voice but don't think of um the wb frog like erase that (laughs) from your mind anybody who's listening to this his voice is totally not that (laughs) and you know the first time i i completely forgot about it on this rewatch like i was like this is how it starts like i thought the the way the show starts is just they're they're walking uh, like Wirt and Greg are walking and then it's just like they're lost and that was it but I, I didn't know that there was this whole like foreshadowing uh, montage at the beginning yeah yeah it kind of like it slips you into the storybook mood because yeah it has like the frog floating around and just like an abyss playing the piano uh, 
Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and th- there's even things in it that you don't see because um, it's kind of like outside of the action of the episodes. It's almost like mm. already a follow-up on them. Like, you know, there's no yeah. circus in in the show, right? Uh, they Well, because they do kind of like... I know what you're talking about. It's like a, a the foreshadowing where they show little clips of where the characters are going to go, almost like a chapter list. Right. But then at the end, they kind of do it again, and the circus is shown again at the end. Right. Um, but I don't know if it comes up in an episode. No, it, it doesn't. Oh, wait, no, uh, it does. It does? Yeah, um, in oh. the schoolhouse episode, um, just to jump ahead a little bit, yeah. um, her love who gets stuck in the gorilla costume was at the circus. Oh, you're right. But it, it's off screen, It's very though. brief. Like, I think they yeah. just oh, show up oh, for a oh, moment. Because okay. he left to go to the circus, and so they right. show it for like half yeah. a second, I think. Okay. It's not substantial. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess it's blink and you miss it. <laughs> it took me a second to even think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking too. And I was like, okay. All right. And yeah, we'll, we'll get into the, the bookends <laughs> of, of the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess before we, we get into episode by episode, I'm getting ahead of myself in terms of uh, uh, the opening. But like, I want to... So let's just do this. Let, let's both say our favorite episode at the same time. Oh, gosh. All that's right? going to be difficult. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, the first one that pops in your head. Okay. okay. So, ready? One, two, three. Husk School Town B. Follies. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay. School Town Follies is a good one. Uh, yes. It's my favorite. Um, so, so, yours was the hus- hard, hard Times at the Huskin Bee. So, the second episode. Hard Times at the Huskin Bee. Yeah, because it's the one where you're like, you're okay, so you're like in the show then. You kind of know what's going on. And it really just like has that vibe it's like a little bit creepy but it's still fun and playful mm. it's so good yeah i love that yeah episode. yeah i flip between certain episodes and and we'll get to another one that that really ranks high for me too um but yeah we'll get to to both of those episodes because they come right after the first episode yes um so yeah w- what were your impressions of of the first episode uh, yeah, so this is like a great little introduction. As you mentioned, mentioned it kind of has these like uh, very brief shots that sets up the world um, by showing kind of all of the different spots the characters are going to be going to over the course of their adventure. So you kind of get introduced to these characters and uh, scenes ahead of time, which just kind of like sinks you into the atmosphere. Um, and then it does have that like really beautiful uh music behind it like through the whole film it is very very musical that's like a big part of it um and so yeah it just like really sinks you and it's lovely uh it's so cute too like we're or greg with his uh candy trail and then all of the different uh names he's giving his frog okay Um, yeah we i gotta know what's your favorite name for for the frog oh gosh i Um, I can give you a list too if if you need a refresher i'm trying let me see if i can think of 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 any of them um Gosh, because like the first one that comes to mind was when he named him George Washington, which was very funny. <laughs> but then there's also like he, when he called him Wirt, and so he was calling yeah. Wirt, Wirt and Wirt Wirt. That was funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wirt Jr. Yeah, Wirt Jr. Um, 
Yeah. Greg Jr. Greg Jr. Yeah, I, I would have to see a list to choose my favorite, but like they're all just terrific. All right. Well, I have the list in front of me, so I'll give it to you. Um, <laughs> The other thing, too, is IMDb's list is incomplete, by the way, because oh. um, when he initially says it, he mentions another name that's not in the IMDb, IMDb list. And it's relevant to this podcast because he when he says, like, uh, what should I name him? He he rattles off one of the names uh, like uh, before he he starts calling him something. So uh, the, he says, should I name him Steve? <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, the co-host of this podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, he mentions that. And then um, the other names are Kitty. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. As you mentioned, Wirt, Wirt Jr., uh, George Washington, Mr. <laughs> President, Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> Dr. Cucumber, Greg, Greg Jr., uh, Skipper, Ronald, which I, I totally missed. And then the last one, the best one, uh, Jason Funderburger. Yeah, I didn't know if that was going to be a spoiler, but that is the best uh, name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It totally is. I mean, the name on its own is great. And Jason we'll we'll get into that, but yeah, foreshadowing. <laughs> Jason Funderburger. Yeah, you, you have to that. say it in the voice. <laughs> yeah, in the voice. Oh man. Gosh. Yeah, that's yeah. getting way ahead though. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but we'll we'll get to it. Um. So yeah, this uh, I I forgot to mention the the title of the episode is uh the old grist mill, which was already kind of giving you a sense too of of what the atmosphere of the show is, and yeah, the music really is this mood setter and i mean that i kind of wanted to replace the music that we usually use in uh but i don't know how steve would feel about that it's like <laughs> yeah why don't we have the over the garden wall theme music play at the beginning instead of our usual movie food or are we gonna like get copyright strikes for that or something Risky. worth it yeah it's worth it <laughs> worth it yeah let's do it let's uh let's include some uh over the garden wall music in this show um and yeah we also like encounter i mean you know the voice talents um uh i mean elijah wood with you know as wirt and colin uh do you remember his last name davies i'm i'm blanking <laughs> i i don't have his name on my notes but the voice of greg oh colin dean colin dean okay colin dean yeah are great and then in this first episode we actually encounter um uh, the Woodsman, who's voiced by Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, he does such a great... He was perfectly cast for this. Yeah. It fits Amazing. so well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, and and it's it's funny because I somehow I've always associated Christopher Lloyd with comfort. And okay. he's... Yeah, I, I guess because Big of Doc of Brown. Back to the Future, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, I, I feel safe with Doc Brown around, you know? Oh, okay, I get that. <laughs> yeah, but, like, obviously, he's played, like, sinister people before. Um, You know, most famously, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, But, yeah, it's like he he's ambiguous in this, uh, especially on, in in the the get-go. Like, it's it's almost like he's... um. You're not quite sure. Is he the villain uh, yeah, of the show? Yeah, they kind of set it up so that you're not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're questioning his his intentions, you know. <laughs> and the whole thing about you know um, keeping the the lantern lit, which is an incredible like device that they have the uh, throughout. And you know, I think that's also the cover of the the vinyl, right? It's like some sort of lantern image. 
I would have to open it yeah. to look. I forget. All right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's. I uh, yes, the it main... is. I just yeah. pulled it up. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 it, it it's an incredible image that um you know, yeah. I mean, we can get into the symbolism of light, you know, mm. and also just how dark the show is. But you know, there's these contrasts, which is you know one of the strengths of the show because. We we've alluded to it, but yeah, Greg is just such a charming character. You know, it's like hard not to fall in love with him. Yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's like the manifestation of like childhood innocence and optimism. It's yes. so good. Yeah, yeah, and and that's how Mabel is in in um uh in Gravity Falls as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, I think that yeah. relationship was like spot on. <laughs> yeah, and then their brother is like the one who's like panicky and always like afraid of getting into trouble you know but yeah that childlike innocence of just like oh what does this do you know, that yeah kind of thing. oh okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh what what is his phrase he has a phrase that he says ain't that uh, just the way <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> i say that all it, the time <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect it is yeah. so good yeah um and yeah the, just going back to the lantern too um uh I don't know if you know this band. If you know this band, I might actually have to propose marriage. Um, but uh, do you know Lightning Bolt? Lightning Bolt? I, I don't think so. Sorry, oh, you'll have to okay. hold on to All your right. ring. Okay. All right. Yeah. Save the date. Um, but no, um, Lightning Bolt, if you like Don Caballero, like, Lightning Bolt is like, I guess, uh, a couple of levels up from that. Uh, they're, they're a noise band. And they're a duo, actually. They're um, uh, it's just basically uh, two Brian's. They're both named Brian, Brian Gibson and Brian Chippendale. And Brian Gibson plays like a bass guitar that's like slightly modified, like his, uh, I think his fourth string or his fifth string, uh, or sorry, the first string he replaced with a banjo string. So, yeah, he can play his his bass like a guitar. And, um, yeah, their music has been, like, featured in movies. Um, the one that uses it incredibly is, um, uh, um, X Drummer. Like, it's used for the opening credits of this movie called, uh, I, not a lot of people have seen X Drummer. It's also a movie from 2007, coincidentally. And, um, you might, uh, be interested in it. Uh, it's a Dutch movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, the opening, even if you just, I'll send you the opening credits with the lightning bolt track that plays over it. But, uh, yeah, the reason why I bring up Lightning Bolt is because um, uh, they have a track on one of their albums uh, called Leave the Lantern Lit. And the thing about Lightning Bolt is that they also have this contrast of, like, darkness and then also, like, there's this childlike innocence to the music as well. Because it's, like, heavy shit. Mm. But it's, like, there's something, like, really just charming and moving about it. Like, their last album, which I really loved... Um, uh, I think it was called. Why am I blanking on the title now? Sonic Citadel. Like it has like a a cover that's like drawn with colored pencil. Oh, cool. And, yeah, yeah, and I, I just was like, I, I categorize I, it as like a heavy metal I, album for kids. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's what? what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, kids would enjoy this, and like yeah. I, also, Lightning Bolt is a great, like, live show to see, too. If they ever come to your town, like, it's a great concert. Like, it's also a workout. Like, so I remember, like, being in a mosh pit and somebody telling me that. It's like, man, they should do a workout program to, like, moshing <laughs> Lightning Bolt. Because you, you will sweat a lot at a Lightning Bolt show. I love that. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they they're, they're probably you know because obviously Don Caballero is no longer around, but um, Lightning Bolt and Autiker are like my two favorite like active uh, musicians right now. So yeah, they're right up there. Right but on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I just thought of it because of that track, I and mean, it's a long <laughs> way to get to it. But um, <laughs> leave the lantern lit. I I just feel like they've seen over the garden wall and they <laughs> they're refer referencing it because the track itself is unremarkable it's kind of like a filler track on on that album um but the fact that it's there i mean you know and i guess maybe we need a respite from all the the brutal assault <laughs> of the sound <laughs> uh so yeah it's kind of like a yeah just kind of a way to reset during the album but yet yeah, i just have a feeling they've seen uh, over the garden wall and they wanted to pay tribute to it with that track so well until somebody says otherwise we can say that's the case <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so do you have any more thoughts on on the first episode before we move to your favorite episode um i don't know i think it does a good job setting stuff up uh i like i like the little like black turtle thing and how that comes up over and over again in the series because yeah like they introduce it like very simply here but it kind of like alludes to i don't know they, they just tie everything together so well so it's like they plant little seeds in this episode and then just like harvest them so astutely so yes i i i don't know that i have anything else but uh the dog is cute <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that black turtle the great touch was the the piece of candy on its know, back, which so looked cute. like a ribbon, like a bow. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, man. And um, yeah, it, there, there's all this talk about the beast that's yeah, brought up in this beast. episode. Yeah, and we, we don't know who it is. It's like, what is the beast? Yeah, you know, they initially, they make you think it's the dog, right? The the yeah. rabbit dog. They do a but couple then... fake outs because they make you think mm -hmm. that the, the, the forest or what's his name? Um, the woodsman. The woodsman. They, yeah. You, they make you think he's the villain, and then they make you kind of mm. think that like this dog is the beast. And I also love that um, the part where Greg is in the barrel and he looks up and the beast is there, and he's like, <laughs> "You have beautiful eyes." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were. It was like the rainbow, like going on. Like, like those bits are so funny. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, but yes, the little bow candy is so cute. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the way it pops out too is is yeah. great. You know, I mean that is the thing we, we talked about, like the the creepiness of the show, but the humor too is just spot on. Like it's so good. this, yeah. There's a lot of like comedic timing that you know I think it's natural talent to be able to do that. You know, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So incredible stuff. Uh, the last thing I'll say though uh, about the first episode. Um, which is something that recurs with every episode, is that this show has like the fastest end credits ever that I've seen. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like you can't read any of the credits. Like it just no, it does like that little the... piano tune, and you're on to the next episode. <laughs> yeah, which I love, by the way, because oh, yeah, both the bookends. Uh, well, for for the first episode, because we have the montage, we don't have the opening theme that plays on the the later episodes, which is what I want to play at the beginning of this episode of this podcast. But yeah, those bookends of those two are just like it really like hammers things home for me, you know. And I have a theory as to why the credits go by that fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Of course. Okay. So did you notice that every episode is eleven minutes long? Uh no. Yeah, like it's consistently 11 minutes. Huh. 
So I think that was the order of Cartoon Network was like, you can't go over 11 minutes. Like every episode, <laughs> hard out 11 minutes. Oh, yeah. so they're like, we'll just make the end credits like 10 seconds long. <laughs> yes. So they can fit more of the story in it. Uh, respect. And, Good choice. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the reason why this popped into my head too, uh, will come up in episode three. So, uh, we'll, we'll table that for that. Okay. okay so. The next episode is Hard Times at the Huskin Bee. Yeah. And refresh my memory. What happens in this episode? Um, so they introduce Beatrice, who is such a great little character, the bluebird. Um, and they also kind of start to introduce more of the world because before then you see the woodsman and his like creepy hut. Uh, but then you kind of start to see like a little bit more of, of where they're at and it does a really good job of, of building this sort of, um, gosh, how do I want to describe it? It very much is like a fairy tale world. It, it rides the magical realism where there's just enough in their world that doesn't quite make sense, but it's still hmm. very grounded. So it's like they walk into this, this um, abandoned town and you kind of like go into it with your ideas of what abandoned towns mean and scary things and... And they kind of play into that too, but then there are like little gags that are so great, like the turkey who's just kind of like on the table. Um, and he's like, okay, I guess I'll just leave you alone then. Um, so yeah, there's just like these little, um, they start to just kind of build more of that, that magical realism where it's like, okay, these things um, work in this world and these things you know, are, are the same. Uh, so yeah, it does that really well. And then you start to see more of the kind of inhabitants of this world as well and how much it does ride that line of like reality and, and the beyond. <laughs> yes. Um, and these yeah. are the pumpkin people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're yeah. like skeletons that, uh, come back to life and wear vegetables as bodies. So they have pumpkin heads and like corn husk arms and stuff. Uh, but you don't even know that until the end. So you just walk in yeah. on them like having these uh, like maypole festivities and it's like very creepy. Uh, and they're yeah, put just, on you... trial. <laughs> right. And you just bring that up. It's like making my hair stand on end. You know? it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's Ooh. so creepy. Yeah. And I love Beatrice too. She's like, let's get out of here. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah and, and, and this episode actually probably has like the most direct allusion to another childhood favorite of mine which was also very creepy and unsettling uh which was the movie um uh return to oz oh, i actually haven't seen that oh man you have to see it it's the only movie that's directed by walter murch who's um uh like coppola's longtime editor like he basically found a way to structure apocalypse now with like hours and hours of footage and he has uh, two really great books. I mean, he's like a renaissance man guy. Like, he's a beekeeper as oh, well. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, he has a book called In the Blink of an Eye, which is, like, the very technical, like, um, discussion about editing. And it, I learned a lot from it. Like, he, you know, he has his own approach and his own philosophy. But he's also just, like, very educated. Like, he, he claims that actually Beethoven change cinema you know <laughs> like huh. that, that he he actually credits uh beethoven as like um a composer that um that influenced cinema in a way that uh you know i mean he changed music as well obviously but 
like uh, cinema would not be possible without Beethoven's music. Uh, but I don't want to get too deep into it because, um, yeah, we'll, we're we're gonna run like five hours. <laughs> but, but anyway, the reason why I bring it up is, um, yeah, like Walter Murch is really known as an editor. He also edited uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, and once you kind of attune yourself to his style, you just know that it's a Walter Murch movie. Like, I mean, you know, editing is supposed to be the invisible art, but Walter Murch just has this way, and um, yeah, it's incredible. So, Return to Oz. So much creepier than uh, Wizard of Oz, and I, I think I actually prefer it. I'll just say it right right now. <laughs> I prefer Return to Oz, but That's one bold. of the ca- yeah, I mean <laughs> it's just I guess because it's my generation, and then I saw Return to Oz first, so that that definitely plays a part in it. And it's just like you know after you see that you know and then Wizard of Oz, it just doesn't compare. It's uh, um, but I will just say, like, the connection to, to Over the Garden Wall is that one of the characters in Return to Oz is a pumpkin that kind of has a body that's, like, just a cloak, you know? Um, and he looks like this character, which, you know, in the montage is revealed. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there, Who who's behind this, this pumpkin, um, pumpkin man. But I was like, yeah, they, they definitely saw Return to Oz and wanted to bring this kind of character into it you know interesting yeah i i I never would have picked up on that um yeah but yeah it 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 borrows from a lot of like classic spooky halloween elements and just incorporates them into this world so well where it just feels like they fit and make sense um yeah it, it 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 brings up so many feelings of like experiencing halloween as a kid and maybe that's why it's like one of my favorite episodes is just like I don't know, like the barn, just festivities and like the punch bowl and and the, <laughs> it kind of like there are different things that loop back around and I think maybe now that I'm thinking about it, like the last episode might be my real favorite just because. Mm. Um, well, we'll get to it. Um, okay. But it, it it just encapsulates so much of that like much more directly. Um, but yeah, this this one I think is my favorite because it just like it feels so Halloween to me. Uh, the right. other ones do as well, but this one, like especially. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, I, I I get what you're saying about you know how it it starts to establish things about the world more than the first episode because mm. I did listen to some of the commentary. I have yeah, it's one of my treasured Blu-rays. Is this <laughs> which you know crazily enough has never been released on Blu-ray here in the U.S. Like you yeah, can only I was get say it. I don't have a copy. Yeah, you can only get it as an Australian or a British import. Huh. Yeah, and it doesn't matter actually which copy you get because they're the same. I got the British one and then I knew it was a port of the Australian um, <laughs> import because it starts with the logo of Madman, which is an Australian like distributor. So I just instantly knew, okay, this is the Australian port. And it's all region, so like you don't need a, a multi-region player to play it. I do um, have one, so I might have to get on that well, regardless. Oh, yeah, I <laughs> get it. I mean, I think you can get it for a reasonable price. It was like 15 bucks or something like that. Oh so, yeah, get it because it's great. Like, it has all these features. I had, you know, um, like, it, it just totally gets you into the mood of watching it again because, first of all, the menu plays, uh, we're getting ahead of it. Again, Potatoes and Molasses, the, in- the instrumental version. <laughs> and then... Um, yeah, it has all these features. It has um, 
the commentary on each episode uh, with Pat McHale and uh, the art director. Um, well, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name. I think it's like Nick Cross, but I may be wrong. Um, and uh, so they do a commentary on, on every episode. And then uh, there's a composer's mix where you can just watch the entire show with just the music and no dialogue. Oh, Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm kind of like impulsed by this. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Like, yeah, get it. Uh, if you can, yeah, you know, just jump at it. Because, uh, yeah, it's worth <laughs> it. And then, you know, uh, there's just like some behind the scenes. The, the behind the scenes stuff is very short, you know. But it's also just great to see, you know, Pat McHale, the creator of the show, like uh, talk about it. And, um, uh, and just like yeah, he he seems like a very like shy and reserved kind of guy, you know. <laughs> like and yeah, and it even shows in the the commentary too. But uh, the reason why I bring it up is because they were saying when they they were doing the first episode, they weren't quite sure how it was all coming together, um, you know. And then they didn't, they still didn't know actually all the way until the end. Like it was like when it finally came together with the music, they were like, oh okay. Oh, we can like breathe a sigh of relief, you know. <laughs> but as they were making it, they weren't, you know, they were unsure about it. And you know, th- that isn't a knock on the first episode because you know that is your your gateway to the show. And you know, if you're not sold on it, you know, why would you continue? But yeah, the second episode really is the one where it it kind of comes into its own in a way. It's weird to say that. Um, and it it takes place mostly in the daytime, right? That that yeah episode? yeah it does. Yeah. They're like doing like hard labor like in the afternoon. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. so, funny. so beat midsummer like uh, you know daytime <laughs> horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the garden wall did it first. <laughs> so um yeah, and uh, another thing I just want to say before we move on to the next episode is that you know I really got and this is why I also refer to um, Return to Oz that sense of how it feels to be lost, you know, uh-huh. and like trying to find your way, like you. I get more of that feeling here than I did in the previous episode. Yeah. And yeah, and that's what Return to Oz is about, you know? That's like the theme of the the movie. And um I don't know, it's this weird thing of like and you know, reflecting back on childhood and you know, I want to ask you how do you feel about being lost? Just in general? Oh my gosh. Uh <laughs> One of my biggest fears. I mean, I remember being a kid and getting lost in the airport one time and how terrifying that was. I remember I got so scared. I just like found an open chair and just sat there for like an hour because I was like, if I just because it's that thing, you know, when you're a kid, it's like just find a place and stay put and somebody will find you. Um, And so that's what I did. And I was it was at L.A. to L.A.X., um, oh just, man, that's a like, crazy airport. <laughs> yeah, I was like 11 or 12 years old, just lost, and I was like, "Oh my god, oh, what am man. I gonna do?" Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a very scary feeling for me. Um, How yeah, about now, about as now? an adult? Um, you know, definitely still not ideal. I think I can okay. handle okay. it a lot better. Um, and I mean, there's like the kind of like romantic sort of wander lusty getting lost that appeals to a lot of people so i think in that way sure, sure. it's nice um you know like going on vacation wandering around the city type of thing uh but in general i don't know i like to imagine i can keep my cool but i definitely prefer to know where i'm at <laughs> sure yeah i mean the, yeah the show definitely taps into that that yeah, fear of being lost fear. as a kid 
but um it's it it's almost ironic in a way because it's the older kid the high school kid wart who's mm. the one who's worrying and then um yeah he's a worry wart hey <laughs> and- <laughs> nice yeah, I'll I'll be here all night. Tip your waitresses. Um and uh but Greg is just like so happy go lucky about yeah. it. Like, yeah, let's go. Like Adelaide, yeah, sure. Yeah, and yeah. I th- I think it ties like there's this whole theme of like of of a mental attitude too. Like Greg is so immune to so much because he's just like relentlessly positive. You know, like every yeah. single situation he's like Great, yeah, like totally. And even when Wirt says like very like horrible self deprecating things, he's like, okay, then, like, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. And so it's just kind of like this idea of like the way that you approach things matters so much because like Wirt is constantly like, yeah, he's he's constantly wringing his hands and worried about what's going to happen next and they're lost and where are they going to go and what's going to happen. And so he's the one who's constantly like in these situations of stress and anxiety. Whereas Greg is just like solving problems moving forward. So I think it, it has like the great commentary on that throughout the film or the film throughout the series as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and there, there's a part of me too. It's like that you just hope that Greg never changes, that he yeah. just stays that way. But, you know, yeah. uh, you know, teen, being a teenager can be brutal. I mean, yeah, nobody gets off easy. (laughs) Yeah, but if he had gone through this experience and survived it, you know, I don't know. Like, he he has that resilience. Um, Yeah, I I, I also was terrified of being lost as a kid. You know, that was definitely Mm -hmm. something. That's why, yeah, I guess the show resonates with me so much. But as an adult, I actually just lean into it. Really? You know, I mean, I, I guess it started with college where, like, I went to, like, a university that was, like, in the middle of nowhere and I didn't speak the language. <laughs> so I had to figure things out on my own. Like, I didn't take public transportation because I didn't know how to communicate where to go. <laughs> so I just had to walk uh. around everywhere. And I just love this idea. And, okay, I'm going to tie this in with your favorite filmmaker. Herzog also believes this, <laughs> that you need to walk around to find your way. <laughs> you know, that it's, like, it's not about... Um, you know, like planning ahead and like making an itinerary. Like him, um, he joked about it, and I don't even know if this still exists. If it's real, that he has like a film school apparently. Um, and you know who's like emerged from this film school? Like we don't know. <laughs> There's no films that have come out of it, but it's some sort of like boot camp thing. But before he even did that, he like, like just jokingly mentioned that um, uh. That yeah, he said. Oh, if I were ever to to start a film school, I would make um, people walk from Kiev to Madrid and <laughs> <laughs> on foot and write about it. And I will know if they actually completed that journey, um, you know, uh, because it, I can see the truth in in the writing, you know. And I mean, he's a man of his word. You know, tying back to to Werner Herzog eats his shoe. When his uh, his uh, little people actors got injured in that movie, he says like, "Yeah, he injured himself too by jumping into a cactus." <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he says he still has like the pins in his knees. Such you a know? hardcore guy. <laughs> I know, right? And um, he actually did do a walk similar to that. I don't know if you know this book, um, and if you don't, you should get a copy of it. Um, uh, of walking on on ice. 
Okay. Um, I have not read it. Oh man. Okay. And then another little quick sidetrack. So, <laughs> uh, it was a book that was hard to come by for a while. Like it was out of print, and then it got republished. And uh, you know, it it was written originally in German. Um, and he was saying like, there's some translations of it that suck. <laughs> but he was like, oh, this reprinted one is is um is the shit you know it's like that i mean he doesn't say that but you know he says like this is the definitive translation in english um so uh a few years ago when it got reprinted he was like doing kind of a book tour for it and i went to one of those events because a friend of mine happened to have a ticket to it and i was like oh man this is incredible and uh, so he he does a reading and oh i i'm even like uh, missing the point here the the book is about him walking from um uh, uh oh my god where am I I'm blanking on where he walked from in Germany uh where's he f- Munich yeah he walked from Munich to Paris oh like whoa. on yeah and the reason why he did that was because um his uh friend and mentor who's uh oh, oh incredible- yes. Uh, though, yeah, I re- I remember this. He talks about this in one of his his documentaries. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, no, yes, no, no, now yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, Lot- <laughs> Lottie Reniger, I think is her last name. Yeah, he wasn't uh, ready for her to die or something. Right? Yeah, like, she was very sick. Yeah. Yeah, and he was like, he believed that if he made this journey, yeah. if he walked, that she would survive. And crazily enough, she did. Like she lived a few <laughs> more years. Like it fucking worked. Yeah, like he talks- it's crazy. Oh, yes, in yeah. Portrait, Werner Herzog, he talks about that. That's how I know about <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> All right, yeah, fantastic. So, yeah. Um, what a so guy. I was at, yeah, at this event where he was doing the, the book reading, and then, you know, he was going to sign books, um, and I, I brought my copy because I like I, I found, like, a, a cheap copy of it. Um, but I didn't know that it was this kind of event because it was, like, a fancy, like, venue where basically they were actually handing out copies of the book uh, for for him to sign, and it oh. was totally free. Whoa! What? <laughs> yeah, so, so I ended up. Yeah, I ended up getting two copies of the book because I want. You know, it's free. I'll take it. But yeah. um, uh, the other copy, like another Herzog, uh, friend of mine was like, "Oh, you have two copies. Can I have the other one?" And I was just like, "Okay, you can have it." <laughs> <laughs> you decided to be a good friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they got the unsigned version, so you know. Uh. Um. Yeah, and my friend who's who invited me, who's an even bigger Herzog fan, um, he had like a whole conversation with him. Like, I even took photos, like you know, because he he wasn't oh, rushing anybody. They weren't rushing anybody in the line. You know, you could actually take your time. I mean, I wow. I didn't really have anything to say, so I was just like, thank you and all that. Um, <laughs> thank you for existing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but um, so he had this whole conversation, and his um like inscription on his book is actually like poetry recommendations oh, like wow. uh poets uh, yeah like uh i think he uh he recommends uh august uh kleinheiser uh who's an american poet even though his his last name sounds uh german uh and then he also recommended this book called the peregrine uh which is an incredible book uh i have a copy of it so yeah just great stuff that my friend has it um but yeah that's just my whole like worst <laughs> herzog sidetrack about like getting lost and walking around so i like that idea of discovering and actually um i i am i, I haven't traveled obviously because of you know um the pandemic and and all of that oh shit uh, sorry I, I mentioned the the wrong word so 
what happens, you know, I should mention this. Um, if there's any mention of COVID or anything related, Spotify like marks your uh, your your podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you get like this blue strip that basically tells you that like um oh, for more information oh, about COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, so every time it gets mentioned cuz um, you know, I I had a guest, a friend of mine, Rob, he talks about like getting COVID. So that the episode ends up getting that blue strip that <laughs> so now that I mentioned the p word uh, that happened but yeah I haven't traveled so I plan to travel and I want to do it like Herzog style where it's just like I land I don't have like I don't know where I'm gonna stay I'm gonna figure it out like I'm just gonna walk <laughs> and discover uh what it is you know I mean yeah. uh, I'm so uh yeah it, it's a big inspiration for me I, I i mean i would say like that book of walking on ice is i value it more than his movies you know no <laughs> not way. a knock on his movies but no yeah that way. that diary is just man yeah That's a it big means statement. that much to me. yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well i'll have to give it a give it a um, yeah for sure <laughs> yeah if i had my second copy i would have mailed it to you oh that's kind sure. well in another universe <laughs> yeah <laughs> and speaking maybe. of other universes yeah with over the garden wall like it does set it up so well because i was trying to think of like a better way to describe it but it's like when they get out of the woods you realize that like they are in another world because as long mm. as they're in the woods you're like oh they're just gonna like go through the woods until they get back to their house or wherever because you don't even really know where they came from at that point. You're like, are they right. from the woods? Like, are they just like, are they just out yeah. on a walk? And they're like, they go on walks in the woods all the time. You don't know. But then when it opens up and you see them like totally lost and how huge this expanse is and that there's like a whole village here, you're like, oh, this is like another world that they stumbled into. And so I guess right. that's what I'm trying to say too and how it sets it up more. Like it yeah. immerses you more because then you're like, oh, this is a whole thing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I mean, we, we haven't even described how they look like, you know. Oh, right, um, yeah. Yeah, that it's just, they seem like they're of this world. Yes. You know, I just took that at face value that it's like, oh, uh, Wirt looks like a gnome. He's wearing the, the long pointy hat and he has like a, a cowl or some long jacket. Yeah, like a cape kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> Greg has an upside down kettle on the top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. Yeah. And he's wearing like overalls with like a little bow tie. And... Yeah, and yeah. he has like his little messenger bag. <laughs> yeah, they look like kind of outside of time for sure and like very right. quirky. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll discover later on. <laughs> <laughs>